You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in again. Uh, today I am joined with my friend and co-host of a another cannabis podcast that you definitely need to check out uh, called Oregon Rooted. I'm here with Higher Peaks. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks Jason. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so the the tables are turned <laughs> today. <laughs> this is really different. You know, I like it though. Uh, it's you know I've interviewed you four or five times, and uh, this is great. I get to be on the other side. Yeah, I'm really interested to see um, where our conversation goes. I've <laughs> I've always enjoyed um, coming on your podcast and just the the conversations we get into. They're always uh, usually pretty interesting, and you usually hit me with really good questions, which that's always a sign of a good interviewer um uh that that tend to take the conversations in really interesting directions so um yeah super excited to to see how this goes and and my uh my goal with this conversation is to try to glean some knowledge and wisdom that you've picked up um because you know you and your wife have interviewed um, I don't know how many people have you interviewed now um, for the podcast. Definitely dozens. Uh, well, we've put out like thirty nine episodes, yeah. And so I would say all but maybe three or four of them have been uh, without interview. Yeah. So it's an interview based podcast, and that's how we bring the content. You know, it's we definitely aren't the professionals. You know, I've grown for a few years, and we've been in the industry and and also the culture, but. Uh, you know, the professionals are people like you and, and growers and all these other people that, that are really doing it right. So we try to find those people and, and share their knowledge. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from, too, is I want to find people that um, have unique perspectives on the plant and the industry and uh, so that we can promote critical conversations. That's really, really my goal here. Um, so to start out, you've already mentioned a little bit about your podcast, um, but for our listeners that aren't familiar with Oregon Rooted, do you mind just kind of describing um, the content of the podcast, the structure, the flow, and um, and kind of um, what got you started uh, doing that podcast? Yeah. And then we'll kind of go from there. Sounds good. So 2015, uh, basically started in 2015. Like you, we started and we're racking up shows and trying to produce some stuff, getting a website going. And the reason we had started it was because Oregon at the time was following, you know, Colorado, Washington uh, with the rec scene. Yeah. We had been medical for a lot of years. Um, and I'd grown medical for uh, quite a few of those. So we're already involved and, and we're kind of dabbling in, in that culture. And uh, like I said, 2015 came, the laws were on the verge of changing and dispensaries are starting to come out yeah so right when what was it july 4th july 7th something like that july 4th july 7th i think was when they 2015 we went wreck yeah something like that definitely yeah that summer i don't remember the day but um well that day we started going out and and touring whatever was out there mm -hmm. and that was like dispensaries um for us it was really exciting because we had been involved so long that we were really excited to see the market come out in a legal way mm -hmm. and um, you know, we kind of looked at it like, you know, either beer or wine where, you know, you could be enjoying it the same way. And so we, you know, we took a vacation to the coast and, and on that vacation we did a dispensary tour and we we're so happy with the people and what was going on and how things were changing that we really felt we just really wanted to share it. Yeah. And we, we love Oregon, mm -hmm. as you can tell. 
<laughs> and so being really proud of the state and what the state has to offer, uh, it was just, it seemed like all the sun, moon and stars aligned. And I had been listening to podcasts for a while. Uh, I'd usually listen to them during work and, you know, you can learn things mm-hmm. while you're doing things. So I'm like, right. you know, if I'm just going to be idle, I'm going to be learning things while I'm doing it. So it was only natural to, to gravitate that direction. And, uh, plus it's a worldwide exposure as you know. Mm-hmm. So we just really want to start sharing that stuff. And because it was all around the state and state laws and that we had had passion for the state, we really wanted to center around just people in this state. Mm-hmm. And it's done really well for us. Um, you know, we're able to talk to all the different kinds of people. You know, one of the first people we brought on was you yeah, and Anthony. Yep. Uh, but we wanted to find people who were reputable. Um, labs were just opening up. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really good ripe time to be able to share with everybody else that was really not being able to enjoy this kind of culture to really, you know, get a taste of it. Yeah. And uh, it kind of just went from there. Um, we just been working at it, chipping away, and just it's been growing on its own. Uh, but it's been tough. You know, there's, it's a, there's a lot of work behind the scenes that goes into making an episode that is just the people don't have to see. And so, you know, we're, we're getting there, but, you know, releasing an episode a week and, and bringing an interview based podcast, like we said, uh, I think we're doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm excited to, to see it continue to grow. It's, it's, I remember when we first connected and I was doing seminars, mm-hmm. um, at SOU and we were kind of connecting that way. Um, uh, you were coming to the seminars and yep. we would talk and try to figure out ways to do um, education and try to get the word out about different um, cannabis science topics and everything. And it just kind of blossomed from there. It's been really cool to watch it grow since that early, early stage. Back then, we didn't really have a lot of podcasts for this area. Um, and, and although podcasts are national and worldwide, there's a lot of people regionally uh, that really want to hear local podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we found out about you and doing the education and stuff, it was, we wanted to have entertainment and education and, and kind of the whole scene, mm-hmm. you know, the full culture part. And you guys were bringing out such great info on the education side that we just, we had to, we had to follow up. And, Uh, when we were doing those with you, it was just a a lot of information we were able to share with people and people still go back on those episodes and find good information. Uh, and Anthony, as you know, uh, he's just a very, uh, what do you call it? His knowledge and his, Oh yeah. It's on another level. It's (laughs) yeah. Oh yeah. Those are the people that make good doctors, you know, not, not, you know, doctors in general, as far as a degree, Mm -hmm. they, they have that capacity of, of brain power. So. But we, uh, we've been just uh, setting people down. We talk with breeders and we talk with uh, farms. We do farm tours. That's our, that's our most fun. Uh, educationally, we talk with labs and we talk with people like you that have, you know, a good educational background. And, and then we fill it in with stuff, you know, entertainment-wise, whether it be news. We talk about our grow. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about what we do. We, we, we want to bring education on, on the stuff that, that we're doing, like our grow. But by any means, you know, we don't come about it as if it's the right way or the wrong way. There's tons of different ways. And people always ask me, what's the best way to grow cannabis? And the best way to grow is your way. Mm 
So whatever way you develop and grow and learn is the way you should enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so we share our information, and if people learn from that, great. Uh, but by any means, we're not professionals. <laughs> <laughs> you well, can, you know, we grow plants for years, and just this year we ran into that rust problem, and you know, brand new problem. Yeah, fungus. You know, I've been growing since like 2002-ish, and and rust fungus after almost 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And so there's always something new. Yeah, and I mean that kind of thing you wouldn't necessarily expect to be an issue in, in such an arid place. Um, you wouldn't, but I've found that if you grow enough plants, you're going to mm -hmm. see all these different problems crop up at some point. Yeah. And I think that makes you a good grower if you can find ways to, like I'm, I've got the couple of plants that have the rust fungus. I'm going to grow them out. I am by far not going to consume them anyway. Yeah. We talked about this. I've had to use products, even though they're organic or uh, on the <laughs> ODA on list, list. Yeah. uh, it, just it's in such quantity i just don't think that it's going to be <laughs> safe to consume but i'm only growing them out to see if i can beat the problem or see how it can be handled just to learn from, it. To learn from it yeah mm -hmm. absolutely well i mean that's that's the way you learn you get hit with hardship and you work your way through it and uh move forward and uh extract whatever wisdom you can and yeah. that's that's how you get better so yeah. well um let's talk about some of the things that you've um, seen change since you started the podcast, since you started it, you know, right around when Oregon's recreational program was uh, getting going. And a lot of those, that program itself has changed, the rules have changed, um, and the players in the industry have changed. Um, so can you comment um, of kind of what you were noticing in the early days and what you're noticing now and, and how things have evolved and what stands out to you? Um, a lot of it is we've, every change the OLCC or the industry has happened to it, it really ripples through everything else. And, yeah. and those changes really follow through. When we first started um, going on these dispensary tours and stuff, you know, these places were, you know, just a small little shop. You had to go to the front desk and mm -hmm. and sign in or show your ID, and then you had to wait, and they'd help you one at a time. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like still really it just seemed like it was almost still black market. Right. You know, and then, like, we went to this one dispensary where we went into a lobby to wait for our turn because they only helped one person at a time. Mm -hmm. This is in 2015, and they had an Xbox in the waiting room, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But, but when we finally got to go in, which is after 10 or 15 minutes, it felt like a doctor's appointment. And once we got in, they had like four or five, uh, kinds of flour. And then they had one concentrate. Wow. And it was about the color of real dark tree sap. Interesting. Yeah. It looked about like tree sap and he pulls it out and he says, Hey, Hey, you want this? Cause we'd asked about the concentrates and he says, okay, let me go back here. And he goes back in the back and he comes out front and he says, this is what we got. I go, that's it? He says, yeah. He says, you want it? I'm like, no, no, I don't want it. <laughs> so, so we left there and I, yeah, it was just really not shady. It just seemed really just still blacky marky. Mm -hmm. And, um, but immediately, you know, places started popping up and things started getting a little bit more professional. Uh, but everything was still, you know, just seemed like almost homemade, if you yeah. will. And, you know, when we got back here, after the tours and stuff, we uh, hooked up with Talent Health Club, mm -hmm. 
And back then, my co-host, Lady Sativa, she we were, she wasn't working there. and But we were going to events there, meeting farms and mm-hmm. collecting interviews that way and and watching Talent Health Club grow. And it's just now this industry has turned into this, uh, there's dispensaries everywhere. Packaging is crazy. I mean, you see everything from plastic-looking chew cans to Ziploc bags yep. to things that look like food that yeah. aren't. And it's just <laughs> turned into this mass market thing. And, and yeah, it used to be small farms. Now they've turned into more corporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a huge change. It's a huge booming industry. And the thing about it that's good about that is that it has really brought a lot to the economy. Yeah, Our job growth and our economy is just, we don't seem to be having any problems funding things right now. Right. And this area that we live in um, here in Southern Oregon, uh, I can't remember what the rates of growth are, but um, they're extremely high. And um, there's like not enough housing can be built to accommodate the influx of people that want to move here and live here. And, you know, there are different reasons for that, but the cannabis industry is one big reason uh, for that. That's drawing a lot of people and even people that aren't necessarily involved directly in the cannabis industry, but ancillary businesses that end up um, getting a lot of business from the cannabis industry that now have this new um, revenue stream uh, coming up, you know, construction, uh, plumbing, electricians, you know, all sorts of of different things like that. Um, You know, I moved out here just six years ago, and um, the changes I've just seen in that six years is... Um, incredible just as far as uh, the population growth um, and the economic change because when I moved out here southern Oregon was um, struggling quite a bit economically and I mean in a way it still is because it's a rural area it's kind of disconnected from the rest of Oregon and it's disconnected from California it's just kind of this strange little pocket here Um, but that definitely seems to have turned around quite a lot especially over the past like four years Um, so that's that's great to see, and that's one of the arguments used in a lot of states to try to push legalization um, in uh, you know economically stressed areas. It's like here's a whole industry that's just waiting to be birthed um, if we can figure out how to regulate it. Yeah, ultimately it's going to be the biggest motivating factor for states that are resistant. But it's good and bad, but the good is really good. We're getting people that didn't have jobs or I mean people that maybe wouldn't even want jobs or or actually you know getting out there and working and it's creating a lot of economy like you said not just for people in the industry but I mean look at Bic I mean they were already doing good (laughs) over the years because of us anyway and then another bump or you know raw paper or Mm -hmm. Uh, even zigzags. I mean, that, there's a whole, uh, uh, you know, plastic, the plastic they use on these hemp fields. Right. Oh, I gosh. mean, uh, yeah. I think of yeah. all these other outlets, uh, packaging companies, not that that's good because we're having an issue with that, right. you know, with the res- waste. Yeah, yeah, big waste, which needs to be dealt with. But it, still, you know, we're coming up with people, you know, for packaging and, and uh, just different outlets. And it goes in levels like a farm might have a trim service or a, mm-hmm. now it's bookkeeping. And, yeah. And 
I've noticed there are all sorts of spinoff companies and companies that started out trying to be totally vertically integrated that have realized maybe it's better to specialize on a very, very, very specific part of the production process and get really good at that and then offer that service to other people. And um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how that continues to evolve. The trim services, like just uh, a couple of years ago, I noticed that those started really um, becoming prominent, these trucks that could just pull up to a grow. Um, you know, you open up the back inside the truck is just tables and, you know, all the equipment and everything they need. I'll have people, um, just sitting in there all lined up, trimming everything, just being fed from the farmer's, uh, material that's, um, coming off the lines that's just recently dried and, um, you know, just busting that out really quick for you. And <laughs> so you can move on to trying to get things into the store. Um, what, what are some negative things that you've seen play out over the past several years um, or stories that you've heard from people that you've interviewed? Um, yeah, well, as far as, <laughs> as far as some neg- you know, I see these, first of all, when we first got started, everybody we met, part of the reason we wanted to start the podcast is because just about every darn person we met was a very nice, kind person. You know, they they treated you like, quote unquote, family. I mean, mm-hmm. loosely speaking. Um, <coughs> they uh, were very kind, uh, uh, you know, would, would share things. He was always in the culture. It was always uh, a thing to share with people. Mm-hmm. That was the big thing. You know, when you sit down around a circle and you were to smoke a bowl, it was a sharing experience and you shared your, your, your weed mm-hmm. and it didn't matter if you spent 50 bucks for that eighth, you know, and every bowl was worth about five bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was just, it was a giving and you cared and it was social and a lot of interaction. And now because of business getting involved and regulation, all the stuff that has to come with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the size that is growing and the speed that it's growing has now made people almost pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of, uh, I did it first. Yeah. Uh, I, I invented it. Uh, I do it better. You don't do it right. Mine's cleaner. Mine's clear. I mean, you could, whatever adjective you want to use, it's something is bigger, better, stronger, faster. Mm-hmm. I did it first. And that's unfortunate because what I saw coming out of the industry at first was this Oregon makes fire and we're going to bring it. Right. Right. And that's what it was. That's what was happening. And you saw these. Yeah. It started out as this horrible looking concentrate. And now we got stuff that just I talk to people from other states and they've never seen it before. Right. You know, we're taking it to levels never seen before. That's great. Bring it. But it's bred this uh, part of this is social media, too. But it's bred this real bad uh, aura Mm -hmm. amongst the culture. And now people are as we are, we're, a, you know, everybody has to be on a team. And so that we split into teams. Now you're team this person and team that person. And, yep. and if you, and it's just become this big playground. And so that's unfortunate. Um, and I try to keep promoting, you know, yeah, you are doing great. Yeah. You are top of your game. Yeah. You did almost do it first. Right. You were <laughs> but, one of the first, but let's, yeah, but yeah. let's bring it and let's enjoy it. And, and, leave your ego at home. 
Uh, yeah. So that's well, my biggest thing. Yeah, and definitely social media exacerbates that, and not yep. just with cannabis, all kinds of things. The tribalism issue is a problem broadly. And, uh, but that's something I definitely noticed too, because in the days of the medical program, which I only caught the tail end of that, um, but it was much more community-driven. Um, one thing I noticed, and I'm interested to hear if, if you've noticed the same thing, is that a lot of people that during the days of the medical program were all about patients. Everything is, you know, patients first, that sort of thing. Um, that seems to have largely gone away. Um, I, and it seems to be more, and I understand why, you know, it's, it's definitely profit-driven because you're in a totally different game now that's being played. Um, and it's a relatively hard game to make money at, uh, which is people in other states don't necessarily understand that, um, that all of these growers and extractors, uh, even the testing labs, like they're not making huge amounts of money. I mean, there might be a few handful that are, but for the most part, everyone's kind of struggling to make it through this roller coaster of regulatory changes and um, uh, market changes and influx of competition overproduction, all these, all these different issues. Um, and so that leads to a more competitive mentality. And I just, I don't see much, um, focus on the consumers that much anymore about trying to take more pride in, um, um, trying to go above and beyond what's required to make sure that, that people have, you know, sort of high grade medical quality cannabis products. Um, because a lot of people that are that haven't renewed their medical cards, they're still going to dispensaries. They're still, they still have medical issues that they're treating with cannabis. They just aren't getting medical cards. Um, but they, it seems like um, there's just not much attention on that demographic anymore. No, and it's unfortunate, and that's where we try. I would, I would like to see you know podcasts like yours ed help educate uh, consumers and and people in general, because. And not only is it hard for farms and these businesses, dispensaries, and and everybody that's a part of it, not only is it hard to to follow or keep up with the regulation changes and the, the changes in the industry and the finicky consumers that we are and stuff, but it's hard for the consumers to keep up with all them and all that stuff too. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. and a lot of the problem is is that there's a lot of misinformation or information that comes from ignorance or uh, gray areas where people aren't getting the right information or the full information. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of resources. Like you can't just go buy a guide, you know, dummy, you know, cannabis consumer one Oh one. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people out there using it as medicine and, and making purchases that they may not have to, or mm -hmm. should, or not, they're kind of misguided. So hopefully that we, you know, we can bring, as podcasts like yeah. like we we can bring information that needs to be talked about and try to open up different answers yeah. different different things that people can say oh yeah okay well I should have thought about it that way or maybe I should think about it that way or maybe that's not the way I wanted to go but it's it's hard I believe for consumers to to keep up with all this mm -hmm. uh and then you you layer that that's just THC and then you layer that with the CBD craze <laughs> And, and it just becomes this big ball of, of ever-changing madness. 
Yeah, <laughs> the hemp industry is adding a whole other layer of complexity um, to what people have to keep track of. Because um, yeah, you've you've got you've got a medical program, you've got a recreational program or adult use program, and then you now also have hemp um, and all of the CBD stuff coming from that. And each of these is regulated slightly differently, and the products like you know dispensaries even have unique you know, potency limits for medical versus, um, adult use and that sort of thing. So it's, it is a lot to, to juggle. And that's one of my concerns is that, um, the consumer education is not there. And there are, there are a lot of companies that are claiming to do education, but, um, not many of those are doing quality education um, and it seems like a marketing game more than anything. It does seem like the education is driven by marketing um, and trying to lead you, like marketing does, lead you to certain directions based on those educational tools or whatever you want to call them. Right. But it's true. Um, and we've cut through a lot of that hype, I think. But it's a, it's a continuous thing. Oh yeah, and there's I new mean, stuff that comes up <laughs> constantly. And it's not it's to the point now where if you do go into a Walgreens or I was in Safeway last night and you're looking at this stuff and it's in packaging, you can't even decipher the packaging or trust the packaging. Uh you know, there's just <laughs> it's not like going buying a bottle of ranch, you know? It's unfortunately Yeah. And you can think you're buying a good brand. Yep. It could be just fancy packaging. Um, a lot of stuff going on, and uh, and it's all happening in just two, three years. Right, yeah. Uh, so, and like you said about the rec and medical, you know, thank God for rec, in my opinion, thank God for rec, because there are a lot of medical people using rec as medical, and, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that fix headaches by buying Advil, and they don't need a prescription for that. Mm -hmm. But without that ability to go down to Walmart real quick and buy some, some right. Advil to get rid of that bad headache, I mean, you know, that sucked to have to wait for a doctor and get a prescription and, oh, and it's kind of expensive too. I mean, mm -hmm. cost you, uh, like a card itself is like 250, $300. Yep. And then you have to pay for, uh, you know, whatever it costs for you to get your doctor's visit. Mm -hmm. Um, that's assuming you have records and exactly. Assuming so you, if you don't have, have records, records, they have to, this sounds wrong, but you have to create records. So they have to basically say, okay, what's going on? What's going on with your health? And let's right. see you've how got, you've got to yeah. have some, you've got to build some, trail. yes, exactly. Yeah. So that could cost you. And then uh, after that, uh, you got to have it at your residence because if you want to have it off your residence, right. you got to pay for yeah, more. Yep. <laughs> so it, it's not cheap. You're right. And uh, because of rec, we can use it medically. Um, medical, I think in the past, because the black market, I think, had some influence on keeping us as a tight community. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you were with other fellow cannabis consumers, in the black market, you, I mean, you watched each other's back. You didn't, you know, you were, didn't say things around certain people and you had the clues and you had the words and it was his own culture and it kept us tight. Growers and medical patients at that time were really working together real well. Medical patients really needed the, the, the grower and the grower really needed the medical patients. And now that's kind of just gone bad it's gotten to the point because of this market that growers don't necessarily need you know mm -hmm. uh patients and so they've kind of screwed some of them over in various yeah. ways and then vice versa patients 
don't necessarily need growers. And so they've started to, you know, kind of abuse their rights. Right. And it's caused friction. And so now it's. Yeah. Thank God for the rec market. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what do you hope to see um, as the rec market continues to grow, um, you know, based on all the conversations you've had with um, growers and dispensaries and everything? Um, um, obviously, there's still a lot of room to grow and mature. Um, what do you hope to see? Um, from all of that in the next five years well first of all drop the egos we're all killing it out here so we need to we need to just keep it up and share the wealth and and be educational these people that are doing it like this think of the wealth of information they have to share with people yeah other states say Um, but we need to drop that and then you know half like i said half the industry is really good people are doing a lot of good things one thing about our culture here is that we have a lot of people that like biodynamic farming. Mm-hmm. We get a lot, I mean, a big, huge movement for organic farming, big, huge movement for some sort of sustainable farming. Mm-hmm. People are now moving to where everything's closed loop. Mm-hmm. So now everything comes from the property. You know, they're making Hugel mounds and they're making, uh, you know, uh, making them from dead trees and wood from their property. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're making their own uh, food, obviously their own medicine. Uh, you know, all this stuff is all just closed loop. So there's a lot of really good sustainable practices here. But on the flip side, uh, those, you know, the other half, I think those people need to step up and they need to start doing things like whether either it's sustainable or we've got this big issue with CBD and THC cannabis where, or hemp, I should say, where, you know, hemp people are going to end up probably having pollination issues yeah. with other THC. So we need to get some sort of, um, I think, like co-op, mm-hmm. maybe even in an organization, a voluntary or voluntarily nonprofit organization or something, or a co-op where we can get these two groups of people together and have some sort of synergy between them, even if it's just in this area. Yeah, you know, so we can kind of. Uh, work together as a team because that's you know creating a lot of differences mm-hmm. there um and maybe these companies can start getting involved like like our podcast as soon as we become profitable we've already decided that there's going to be a certain percentage set aside for uh two places one's going to be the arc here locally mm. which is the addiction recovery center and then the other one is a refuge recovery mm. So I don't know if you've ever heard of refuge recovery. Mm-mm. It's a different option compared to AA, but it is different. Uh, they're not religion based. Mm-hmm. They're a Buddhist practice, but they're not a Buddhist based religion. It's mm-hmm. just the practice of Buddhists. There's a lot of meditation. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of group counseling like AA, but they approach it a lot different. Yeah. Uh, and so both of those have had an effect on me personally and also on my family. So we're going to give back to those. And I think that these farms and stuff that are, that are successful and are making mm-hmm. money can have an impact on our state community, yeah. whether it's with veterans or kids mm-hmm. or uh, like we're going to work with addiction recovery. Now, it sounds kind of weird working with cannabis, but really it's not. No, yeah. I'll, at this point, I still stick with the fact or the argument that cannabis is not a gateway drug. In fact, it's 
sometimes it's a get out drug. In my life, it's it has been for me. I've left alcohol um, with the help of cannabis, mm. and uh, so you know, I I don't think that it's odd to think of you know addiction recovery center and still being you know cannabis you know mm -hmm. uh, geared. Um, well, I know a lot of um, <clears throat> like doctors and nurses that um, that I'm close to have mentioned the, the same thing that they've seen um you know that cannabis can be used as a very effective tool um to help migrate substance use behaviors away from things that are more uh dangerous and damaging to your family your own health uh, your responsibilities obligations and all of that and get into a more um healthy and intentional lifestyle and um, you know, that that's really the focus. It's like, what kind of life do you want and how do you get on that track and not on this other track that sometimes you don't even understand how you ended up on that track. But at some point you recognize like, this is not what I wanted and I'm having trouble just breaking some of these, you know, different uh, patterns of behavior that mm -hmm. built up over time. And um, I've also got some... Um, family friends um, back in the Southeast that are telling me that even, um, you know, clients of theirs are using CBD products um, to try to help with uh, certain aspects of this kind of thing with anxiety related um, issues around um, um, dealing with changing patterns of behavior, whether that be, um, you know, uh, just, the way you spend your time and exercising that sort of thing, or whether it's like dealing with substance use and, and that sort of thing. Um, and if they're seeing some strong effects, it'll be interesting to see, um, more research with that over time so that it can be under better understood how to best utilize cannabis as a tool, um, for those purposes. And I think that's important. I don't want to sound like, you know, if you're a drug addict that, you, you know, admit yourself to a program and start smoking weed. <laughs> right. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but like you just said, it can be used as a tool mm -hmm. and effective tool. And people can go from abusing one substance to another. Mm -hmm. So you can go from abusing alcohol to cannabis. You can go from abusing and without going down the rabbit hole, you can abuse anything. You yeah, can die yeah. from meat and you can die from drinking too much water, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, but to use as a tool, it, it is there and it does work. I will say this, you're better off if you are, if you've got a drug problem with something, even cannabis, you're better off leaving everything at first. Yeah. Leave everything because you've got to deal with the main issue and to deal with that main issue, you can't be on anything else. I do believe that. And people should take breaks. Let me just say this real quick. I recommend that anybody that consumes cannabis, it, I mean, with any regularity at all, uh, that you take a break every now and then and a significant break. There's a lot to learn from it. Uh, I took one. It was five and a half months or so. I took, it was November through into March. And, uh, which is hard when you're doing a, <laughs> a, a cannabis podcast. Cannabis. podcast. <laughs> 
But I took a break from everything. No alcohol, no Advil, no Tylenol, no cold medicine, no cannabis, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing. Tea, that's the only caffeine I'd have is tea and then water. And of course, just, I didn't change my food intake. I'm, I love my food. So, yep. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I took that five month break and I learned a lot. I learned, you know, how I was without cannabis because I already knew how I was with it. Mm-hmm. I learned, you know, how I did things without it. I learned how to, enjoy, not how to enjoy, but how I enjoyed things without it. Um, I also learned coming back that there's things I don't want to do high and there's things I do want to do high, not just before when I was you know, a teenager, I just want to do everything high. Mm-hmm. So taking breaks kind of gets you back to a baseline where you can actually analyze these things. And that's important. Yeah. Um, and so taking those every now and then, and this is all personal, you know, you take them as often or as little as you want, but it's just something you should look at and, and do it. Um, and learn more about yourself on a sober level. Yeah. When I came back to it, I didn't realize how medicinal edibles are for me. Hmm. I use them now as a big tool before it was just an edible. Ah, great taste in brownie. Get mm-hmm. high. But now I'm getting used to my dosages and where things work. Managing pain better uh, with edibles. Uh, managing pain all day with edibles. I'm managing sleep with edibles. Uh, and these are all dosage dependent. I was going to say, have you, have you honed in on sort of ideal dose and ideal THC CBD ratios and that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, I have, uh, and I'm still fine tuning that, you know, I, I did what you've recommended from the beginning. I've kept a log. Oh, nice. And it's a simple, you know, when I get something, I just sometimes even take a picture, Mm -hmm. throw it on my notes in my, in my phone. And, uh, again, another method you think, oh, it's just, you never, yeah, you do. You learn a lot from those little just snippets. Um, and I've narrowed it down to where here's one thing, you know, there's a fine line between medical edibles and, you know, you're seeing dragons, <laughs> real fine line. Yeah. And when you cross that line, most of the time it's not fun, mm-hmm. but even before that line, you're pretty messed up and you, you might sleep for a whole day. I mean, you know, there's, there's levels to this. And so for me, it's not just to take it and try to get high anymore because that just, it just, it can ruin a whole day. Yeah. But if you get your doses down right and your ratios, uh, man, it can really enhance. I, I believe for me, at least it can enhance a life in general. Yeah. Um, I used to have to take sleeping pills on and off and not heavy things. I'd take Benadryl or something like that over uh, prescription Benadryl or mm-hmm. something. Zero. I used to take anxiety medicine. Zero. Um, wow. So, all, all based on just usually between 50 to 200 milligrams, depending on what I'm trying to tackle. Gotcha. Yeah, 50 to 200. And that's uh, milligrams of THC? Yeah, yeah. And then ratio-wise, two to one works great for me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, one to one, if I'm really focused on on tackling something big. Yeah. Like I, the reason we took a break from the podcast, you know, we did take a little break, and I should mention this real quick. I went, we went to this string of craziness where I broke my foot. <laughs> well, actually I didn't break. Let me take that back. I, I popped two tendons. I popped yeah. one that goes on the top and one on the bottom. <laughs> That's the thing. I almost wish I would have broke it because I yeah. would have been in six weeks in a cast and then been done. Instead, I'm six months out. Yeah. Pain oh. like you would not believe. And I'm not going to take pills. I'm, I, I refuse to take narcotics or opioids. And... I wasn't going to take any Tylenol or Advil. So at this time, I'm just down in edibles like crazy. Anyway, 
after that, I we um, found out that my co- my wife uh, was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So hurt foot, trying to recover, pregnancy. <laughs> oh no, way. that's not good. I mean, it is good, but you know, oh no, that was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and then, so right after that, I'm like, okay, well, we're in the midst of this. I'm just going to get my surgery done. There's a surgery I had to have done for many years that I never had done, and this was getting worse. And so I yeah. got it done on my wrist, and that was two screws. And so that put me out another three, four months. With all that done, we're back. So, yeah. as you know, though, it's it's good that you're getting all your your content, though. <laughs> right, that's the thing. Yeah, build up a bunch of interviews <laughs> and trickle it out. Yeah, life throws curveballs left and right for yeah. sure. That's um, yeah. We just had our daughter uh, almost five months ago, and it's been a roller coaster of trying to figure out um, what our new patterns of life even are. Um, it's just like, it's, you know, it's like boggle or something. It's like our life was this boggle set that had all, all settled out and then someone just came and shook it up really good. And now you got to find a home for all the pieces. Right. Yeah. And now we're trying to find new words and trying to get acquainted with this new landscape. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a totally the struggle is real. The struggle is very real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even now, you know, just coming back, it's been, you know, tough juggling, kids and yep. and podcasts so it's you have to get really really efficient with your time that's uh it's kind of what i've had to learn you have to have some really focused intention mm-hmm. uh for sure you want to be able to i've got an hour and i've got this much to get done and this is how it's going to happen yep yeah <laughs> hopefully it does <laughs> yeah yeah no completely <laughs> And you know, and it's so many things as you know, so many things happen in our last interview. We just released episode 39. Uh, you know, we had roofers. I know. As soon as we got ready to start the interview, someone's in, someone's behind the house. Yeah. Nail gun. Like, Oh, here we go. And even today it's like, I realized, Oh, I forgot to bring two cords and Mm -hmm. a handful of other things. And yeah. Oh yeah. Curveballs left and right. Um, But that's okay. I was able to help you. Yeah, you, see, you didn't help me when I had those issues. With I know. You. See, I wasn't prepared then. Now, there's, there's now so many... <laughs> we can balance each other out if the... uh, if we end up having issues. Yeah. Well, there was so many times when I was interviewing with you and Anthony, and and I didn't have something. There was one time my my recorder failed, and you know I wasn't, but I was sweating bullets. Wasn't telling notice. you about it. I didn't yeah, notice, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't know. There's this one you run into is when your recorder doesn't have enough memory and you don't realize it, <laughs> and the light shuts off, and you're right. like, "You go to glance at it." Twenty minutes later, you're like, uh, "We just did not record any of that." I apologize. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed <laughs> talking because that's all we did. <laughs> so can we re-talk about all that? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm super nervous about some interviews I have coming up um, over the next couple of months that are with you know most of the interviews that I've done so far have been with people that I know pretty well and so we have um you know a certain level of uh, comfortability around each other if something goes wrong it's not that big of a deal um i can see them again if you know things don't pan out um, but i've got some interviews lined up later that are with people i don't know very well that i've just gotten connected with either through social media or um you know researchers that i've just emailed and have been nice enough to actually um agree to want to come on the podcast and, you know, they have very limited time frames, and I'm trying to use all these initial interviews that I'm going through as a lot of good practice because 
it's like I really can't afford <laughs> to forget something or mess something up on on those interviews. And I know there'll still be something that'll go wrong. So I try not to get too worked up about it and just go with the flow. But um, yeah. Well, here the best part is trying to get them on audio. Try to get your mess ups on audio. I've got a whole file going of of mess ups. <laughs> the blooper. Reel. Once we get on Patreon, yeah, yeah. it's we're gonna put that on. And there's a lot of funny stuff, but. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where, you know, before when I'd edit, I would sit there and I'd edit it down every little detail, cough, whatever mm-hmm. I would get rid of. And it took a long, long time. And it yep. just, I felt disconnected from the audience anyway. And uh, recently in the last few episodes, I, I just have left some stuff in like in that same episode, not only did we have the roofers, but when me and Lady Sativa were doing the intro, mm-hmm. This is like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Supposed to be pretty quiet <laughs> be out. A good time to do some recording. Some guy on a motorcycle goes ripping down the street, just <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and she starts cracking up, and I'm just like, "See?" So we just left that in. Yeah, you know, hey, enjoy it. Well, they get a free promo, I guess. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same with the roofers. I don't know. The, I don't know who the roofers too were, bad but they hey, don't have their contact info. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a little spot here on the show. <laughs> So, oh, and my last uh, recommendation when you're doing, if you ever use your laptop, make sure you turn it off and turn it back on and make sure you get all your updates done before the interview. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Turning it on and it's going to go through two hours of updating and restarting. I, I did an interview where I was using my laptop and the cord got kicked out and Mm. it clicked off my laptop. I don't know what was going on at the time, but, uh. When I booted it back up, yeah, it was yep. about an hour of updates. Yep. They didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> well, um, coming back to um, some of the interviews that you've done, what are some highlights that stand out to you um, as far as stories that you've heard from other people? And it might be interesting to break it up into different types of stories, like cultivation and extraction um dispensary stuff but um what are some things that really come to the forefront of your mind as kind of um things that caught you by surprise or um just were kind of moving well i'll tell you we let's see when we first started the podcast our first well our first farm was jaybird farms and we still talk with him he's a great guy yeah and right after that we did golden beaver and Golden Beaver was a farm up in Portland. And these guys are really cool guys. They do, every effort is made to do, you know, a biodynamic, sustainable farm, closed loop. And like all their method of IPM and stuff includes predator, nice. you know, yeah. bugs and bacterias and nematodes and, uh, you know, cover crops uh not only cover crops of course but um what do you call that border crops and Mm -hmm. um you know just a whole just range it's a whole ecosystem yeah and it's a really great place well we went up there and they're showing us and they were just doing a harvest on their indoor stuff really beautiful It was the king's cake we've grown it out here it's really pretty stuff really good stuff and they're also they while we're doing this we're going to do an interview and we're staying there for like two days. This is a whole big thing. And we're helping them harvest. And, and uh, they're, they're making food 
all day for us, wow. right? They're making like like we're munching on ceviche all day, wow. and you know how to they'd hand us like lollipop or uh, you know whatever all day long. Come to find out, it was all edibles, medibles. Oh, <laughs> they weren't trying to dose us, but they thought that because that's what they do. They just yeah. they incorporate it with their stuff. <laughs> I don't know. By the end of the day, I was so so high. They they're really good at their edibles too. Very, they know how to do it right. And oh my god, I couldn't talk. I couldn't hardly walk. It was terrible. I never got that interview. Wow. I never got that interview because I was so, I couldn't even sit up straight. And this is I mean, this went on till the next day. And so the next day, we're still both high, and we got to drive home. We drove home giggling the whole way. Now we, I, I don't think we we're so bad that we shouldn't have been driving, but there's something to be aware of. I mean, like I said, there's a fine line there. The interview that went up in smoke. It did. Oh my <laughs> god! And I was so upset when I got home. I was really happy until I came, you know, off the edibles. But I'm like, we that, and we missed that interview, and that was way back in like episode six or seven. Mm. And uh, so we do have a plan though, to go up there in August and we're going to spend three days there at the McMinimum Lodge, McMinna, McMinimins, Mins, yeah, Lodge and, uh, do the, f do the full meal deal again without the edibles. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have a heads <laughs> so, up this time. So I thought it was probably my most messed up interview, uh, which was too bad because I, I believe it would have been a really good yeah. interview. Uh, shadow bucks was fun. Shadow box is huge. You know, those guys, they had a lot of money behind them. And so we're looking at, they had two rows of seven, 3000 square foot each. Oh, and there was 14 of them. Jeez. So 14 times 3000 and there was two rows of them. And then that was just their indoor. Then they had their outdoor. They had this warehouse that uh, we had posted some pictures about it, but they had this warehouse that is the biggest warehouse I've ever seen. And it was just from ceiling to floor was just drapes of uh, like trellis. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this thing was probably at least 20, 25 foot high and wow. I don't know, 20, 30 feet deep. And it was just stuffed full ceiling to wall with cannabis <laughs> drying yeah never seen it before and i don't know how they did it effectively right they did but i don't know how you climate control and keep all that air moving when that's, you got just that's what i was thinking row yeah. row 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 and they're just crammed in but they did great with it uh but it was just an amazing sight wow oh uh, <laughs> and then and then you can check it out on YouTube, but we did a video of the place and they had an R&D room where they were doing all phenos mm. and there was probably a thousand different phenos. Wow. And so every plant looked different. I mean, every plant looked different. It was crazy. Yeah. It was really weird. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> it's like the complete opposite of what you would normally see. I mean, people might have different cultivars in the same growing room, but they're lumped together and... Um, right, right. And you don't see when you're pheno hunting, you see a lot more expression in colors and stuff. Right. And then when you single out those expressions and put them in one big 3000 square foot spot, you've got all these different. Yeah, it's just it was a jungle. It was beautiful. I mean, yeah. Purples, greens, yellows, reds, 
oranges and I mean just anything you could think of blues yeah you know whites they had some albinos that were hanging out and it just I don't know if you've ever seen an albino plant I haven't no not a cannabis plant no um the only one I've ever seen accessible to like me and you is the vanilla luna by second gen generation genetics mm. um and that expresses that albinoism a lot of variegation so it grows slow mm-hmm. but every now and then you'll get a pure white one Wow. And it's just, it's paper white. They call it paper white. Huh. And it's just, it looks like you shouldn't even smoke it <laughs> <laughs> or anything at all with it. Yeah. I don't know if I should touch that, but, um, yeah, they had a couple of those. I don't know what they do with those, but yeah. Um, so that was, that was quite the experience. Um, I don't know. Um, it's been Willow Billy. We did Willow Billy mm-hmm. and that was cool. That was out in Cave Junction on the river. Um, and I like, I like them because they were more of your craft cannabis mm-hmm. type farm. They were uh, maybe, I don't know, they had two locations. One was all hemp, one was all THC. And, uh, but probably, I don't know, not, had to have been a tier two. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't very large. Yeah. Um, but they had an award winning uh, blueberry cookies, I think it was, was mm-hmm. an award winner for them. Um, but they're down to earth folks. They, you know, took us out to eat sushi. Nice. Which is weird. We, you know, generally people that uh, are out working on a farm all day don't <laughs> don't stop in the middle of the day and go have sushi. Yeah. But uh, it was cool. It was really fun. Um, and then we went back and did the full interview uh, without edibles. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was good. Um, I don't know. There's just there's been a lot. What about on the um, extraction side? Have you gotten to talk with many extractors? You know, those guys probably? are pretty busy. They are. I've I've had trouble uh, getting getting them to respond yeah. to me. And, um, yeah. You know, it seems it's weird. Podcasting, you definitely know your position in the hierarchy mm-hmm. because there's people that will jump on your podcast and then it's like, it's like dating, you know, some people (laughs) think you're gorgeous and other people think you're ugly. Right. You say, who knows? Yep. It's the same thing, you know, with that. It's, you just don't know, but you know, sometimes we'll talk to, sometimes we'll talk to somebody, but yeah, let's great. Let's do it. It'll be someone really influential. Mm -hmm. And we're, yes, excellent. And then we'll talk to somebody else. I'm like, hell no. (laughs) <laughs> or won't even talk to us, you know? Yeah. So you definitely know your position, but the extractors seem to be pretty busy, and uh, these guys are pretty popular these days. They are. Um, I mean, the extract market is booming. Booming. Um, you know, you you sort of briefly touched on it when you talked about the uh, the differences and stuff that you're that you saw in dispensaries over time, um, but that's the the big one for me that I've noticed is the diversity of extracts and just the amount and then the consumer demand for them. There's been such a change. I mean, I don't know. When did, when did dab rigs really come around? Because I feel like I witnessed that birthing of, you know, these unique um, instruments to just to smoke extracts uh, that didn't seem to exist. Um, I don't, I don't know when I moved out here. I'm not sure they were that popular. So this is this is a little interesting that you touch on that. Um, I believe extracts in in like the sappy, you know, uh, pull and snap type consistency have been around 
way longer than the proper way of using them. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I remember way back when I was in eighth grade. And I mean, we're talking, what is that, like 88 or something? Like, I mean, we're talking, I was not, no, it was 80, 89. And I remember I was sitting on the bus with a friend and I remember him talking about his dad would put butane through a tube. <laughs> oh my God. And wow. way back then, cause you know, I'm eighth grade. I didn't even, I didn't even know what cannabis was. I mean, I right. did, but not really. And it never occurred to me like it didn't click. And then a few months ago, it, that memory hit me again. And I'm like, wow, I bet you people have been extracting, you know, he probably had like a PVC tube or something. Right. They didn't have glass tubes like that back then, but, um, which was probably worse. Yeah. Well, extract yeah. now. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but I think the extracts have been around for a couple decades. Um, I just don't think that the method, the proper method was being used. Yeah. Uh, people are probably putting it on top of bulls or on top of flour mm -hmm. or something or, you know, down a joint or something, but it wasn't really being used. So that's a good question. I don't know when dabs rigs came around. I don't, it yeah. kind of coincided with the popularity of the extracts though. So it was during the black market days, yeah. <laughs> obviously. But I remember as soon as I was able to buy an extract, I was told what kind of rig and how to do it. Hmm. You know, so it's already ready to go at that point. But it had to have been, I mean, it seems like we had to have been doing extracts for a lot longer than that. Yeah. Well, I know when I was in college, um, you know, it was a thing to take butter knives and heat them up. And that's put, the and real first dab rig right there. Yeah. yeah. That is the real first one. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I had never seen a, a dab rig and I'm, I'm not, I'm not really into extracts that much. So it's still something that I'm hoping I can talk to other people that know a lot more about extracts than I do. Um, just because it just hasn't become a, a big part of my life. Um, but I, I do remember, um, going into a shop and the first time I saw a dab rig and I was like, what in the world is that? And how do you use it? And I remember someone explaining it to me, and I was so intimidated. <laughs> like, you know, unfortunately, it's definitely got that hard drug feel to it. It does, yeah. And and that's what kind of first turned me off with it. I'm just like, man, this feels like I should be doing some meth or something right now. And I just, but that's you know, that's unfortunately our prejudice is playing in our heads because mm -hmm. those are the same types of prejudices that people have about the cannabis community. You right. know, so when someone sees a joint or a God forbid a $20,000 glass piece. Um, you know, it, it looks like a drug thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's all in, in how it's been approached before it became part of the cannabis thing, but it does feel a little weird yeah. and I don't like the torch thing. Yeah. And I don't like, it doesn't feel like I feel much. I feel like it's easier for me to be more open with flour than it is to mm -hmm. be open with. Yeah. You know, I feel like if we're sitting down and doing dab hits, it should be my close friends and we're all in a circle type thing, you know, <laughs> whereas with flour, I feel like I can go on my porch and not worry about it. Well, it's like, um, you know, occasionally I'll, um, use, um, ethanol extracts, um, reduced ethanol extracts, quote unquote, arso, um, or FICO, um, and I'll, I'll make. Uh, products sometimes for my parents mm -hmm. if they have different things going on and I'll figure out the dosage and everything and um, you know even that like carrying around a syringe with you know this dark colored 
um, oil in it, it it just feels weird. So you're like, you know, if someone sees that, what are they going to think? I have heroin or something, you know? And really, this is you like get some a, black tar heroin in a syringe, high CBD, <laughs> like, you know. Um, but it, it does. There is that um, stigma that we've been, um, you know, just through the decades of of our culture here and and how we've you know been talked to about uh drugs in general and especially cannabis and everything and um yeah it's hard to shake some of the things i remember when i first moved out to oregon it took me so long to not feel uh paranoia around any cannabis consumption that i engaged in because coming from Mississippi, I was accustomed to basically expecting to have your whole life ruined at any moment if you got caught smoking. And, you know, I've moved out here. I had a medical card and I was like, oh, okay, I can, you know, sit down in my apartment and, you know, actually, you know, enjoy this. But then that paranoia that was ingrained in me from Mississippi would come up and I would just be like, oh, God, what if someone knocks on the door? What, you know, all these what ifs. And then, you know, my wife was really funny and she's like, you realize where you are, right? Like, uh, nothing will happen because it's totally legal for you to be doing what you're doing. And uh, <laughs> I know, right? Like, you're like, oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. I guess that's true. Um, but it, it takes it takes a long time, and I think we take for granted sometimes these oh, yeah. um, um, behaviors that we that we adopt um, and stigmas and everything that we're living with that we've adapted to. That um, there's a a retired a sociology professor from um, Southern Oregon University that I'd like to sit down and talk to um, on the pad- podcast just about stigma as a concept and how it relates to the cannabis industry and um, some of these behavioral changes that are happening culturally um, to adapt to changes in stigmas and, and perceptions of stigmas. Um, it's something that she just has a lot of uh, theoretical understanding of, of just how um, you know, the human psychology kind of gets involved with um, different types of stigma and then how cultures um, navigate those waters and adapt. And I've had conversations with her before that have been um, really interesting on that concept that I, I really want to explore. Because I think it's something that um, sometimes we get ahead of ourselves because we're like, oh, the regulations are in, you know, everything's changing, and we still forget that we are still dealing with a lot of stigma and a lot of... Um, um, perceptual issues around cannabis use and, mm. um, and absolutely other things. One thing about that too is you know when this first all kind of started changing, it was almost. I mean, it almost felt like coming out of the closet, for lack of better analogy. No, yeah. I mean that's with yeah. all due respect. Like I really felt like you know, for a, a year or two after we became legal, recreationally legal. I still felt pressure to not share any of the stuff that I did. I mean, I've been in heavy in the culture since it's been legal. I mean, really heavy in it. My wife is in a dispensary. We do a podcast. It's part of our life. Mm-hmm. You know? <clears throat> and we uh we didn't we didn't feel very comfortable sharing, which is weird. Yeah. If you think about it, it's legal. And everything we were doing was legal. And so, you know, but Mm -hmm. it still carried on. And it took up until recently to where I said, fine, I'm done, you know, uh, 
putting up these little tiny uh, barriers around people I want to keep. For, and I just said, forget that. You know, it's just, it's just too, we're just too far along for that. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, there's gonna, I think there's gonna be that stigma and some taboo going on in there until maybe certain generations are, are, have finally fallen off because, you know, they're probably gonna carry forward until, yeah, yeah, I mean, new concepts have had time to move in. But, but it, it is really sad. I still run into problems with the podcast. I've been turned, I have had people want, to advertise with me until they find out the extent of what I'm doing. Really? I've had YouTube turn me down for advertising hmm. um, because it's cannabis. Uh, I've had issues uh, locally with people because, you know, like working with businesses mm -hmm. because of cannabis. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, one of our intentions on our logo was to stay away from any sort of cannabis, mm -hmm. uh, type logo and not to hide from it but unfortunately you know not only does everybody have a damn leaf on their logo <laughs> at some point or right. a plant or a bud or yep. something everybody's doing it not only that but you run into a lot of stuff in business that you just are out of your access at that point yeah yeah and so to keep it legit though and to keep it honest and to not vary from our beliefs is we just made our logo with the big O mm -hmm. for Oregon and a green plus, mm -hmm. which is generally known as the medical sign for cannabis. Yeah. When we first went legal, a lot of dispensaries put up a green plus sign mm -hmm. yeah. as a sign of that being a cannabis dispensary. And so we kind of stole that, if you will, and use that. So it's a way of saying we are cannabis. We are, we believe in the medical benefits and we believe in Oregon mm -hmm. um, and what it's doing, but we're not going to, you know, throw it in your face. Yeah. You know, we're not so proud that we have to be like, yeah, screw you. We like <laughs> cannabis. You know, we're just like, hey, we like it. Here's what we got. If you don't like it, that's your deal. Well, I think that's a really important um, kind of stand to take because it's, um, there, there are some good conversations that are not being had right now between, um, people that are new to cannabis or trying to understand it, um, that have not been part of that culture and are coming at it from a totally different angle and are still extremely skeptical, um, which a healthy amount of skepticism, I encourage everyone to have about everything. Um, but there's a lot of good conversation that's not happening happening because there is a lot of that sort of um i don't know grandiose kind of like well we don't we don't care what anyone else thinks and um you're just kind of like shoving it back in in their face rather than trying to say here's what we do here's why we're doing it um Having a little grace doesn't hurt. Anything. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I guess I don't know if that's a word, but, but yeah, just grace a and little, humility. Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit of subtleness and humility is, is not a bad thing. We're not here to, you know, and, and but some people are some people and, and I admire that if, if you're that proud, that's great. Um, I just, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. We need, we need it. We, we pushed into it so fast and so quick that we haven't had a lot of people, be able to get used to it. Right. Yeah. You know, coming from the perspective, I've been, I've been, you know, well, my brother grew <clears throat> illegally back in the day. Um, and 
it was just something we were used to. Uh, and so when things became legal and stuff, yeah, it was great, but it just, it was still, we were still the same people, same culture, doing the same things we did before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you get these, these people now, it's like a cool trend. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, so people are jumping aboard and it's, oh, now it's legal. I'm going to smoke cannabis, marijuana, pot, whatever. And I'm going to, it's, yeah, and I'm going to just put it in your face. It's legal. And it's like, whoa, whoa, just slow down. Right. Yeah. But yep. unfortunately, cannabis is a hype monster and it's a, it's a trendy train. Well, let's, let's and talk. And it's full force going forward. Well, let's focus on some of that hype um, because we've, we've, spent time talking about um several different things that um we've had to provide some context to listeners for on your on your podcast what are some of the biggest um pieces of hype about cannabis that you tend to run into regularly um that kind of need to be um need to be addressed um hype and common misconceptions that you come across regularly. Yeah. Well, first of all, and we've talked about this is I think there's just a lot of misinformation Mm -hmm. and I think that gets hyped up. Um, You know, people will start a a word and and then uh, everybody else takes it off in a different direction. So be careful of the misinformation, which is happening. Um, the other thing too is we got to look at ratios. THC CBD yep. ratios. We got to yeah. look at ratios. And if you're going to use it medically, you're going to have to pay attention to this stuff. It's one thing to have a, a good time on a weekend and do whatever. But if you really want to use it as a medicine, you have to have some intention in it. And so getting off these other trains of, you know, 35% THC and you know, 0% THC and 13% CBD. Um, I mean, it's one extreme to another. And so I think that we need to um, stay away from those trends and, and really do what's best for the individual. Um, and that, that's just a personal journey. Um, so, so those two are big, you know, uh, as far as strains, you know, like flour, this, there's always a new strain every day. Yeah. And then that strain gets basically crossed out to every other good strain, mm-hmm. what we call strain. And this continuously happens over and over and over. One thing good about Phylos that they did bring is the fact that it shows really how much it's not varied. Yeah. If you look at their galaxy, you can see all these strains and how really close related they are. Yeah. And so... I don't like to see people getting on a trend of one brand and then just dropping it a month later. Mm-hmm. For one, that's not that's showing that it's not a medicine. And and two, it's just it's just how consumers are. We want choices, we want a lot of them, and once we're done with it, it's out the window. And we see that a lot with cannabis. The strains that I grow that I personally try to grow are all good strains, but they're not all these hype strains. Yeah. And whether they're good or not, that's for the individual to decide. It's mm-hmm. it's not for a, a grower or a breeder or the looks of it. Um, I'm a big believer in outdoor 
sun, sun grown. I want to say outdoor, <laughs> sun grown. Um, I believe in it. Uh, I, without anything to back this, uh, I believe that full spectrum equals full spectrum, loosely speaking. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if I'm getting everything nature has to provide in its environment, then I'm getting everything that that plant hopefully is going to have in it genetically. Um, and then we can enhance it to its potential in other ways. But having an artificial environment and stuff, I'm not so sure that that, that, that is um, my, my particular favorite. But that's kind of a, a hype thing too, or a, a, a trendy thing too, is uh, who wants outdoor, who wants indoor? Everybody wants indoor because it looks great. Well, that's like saying I want to read this book because it, the cover's nice. It's just, it's got a nice leather cover. Mm-hmm. That's great and all, but there may or may not be substance in there. Um, but this is a, I think it's a younger generation trendy thing led. A lot of these older guys, you know, in my generation don't tend to be so, you know, so trendy. Um, they tend to try to seek out, uh, better information you know whether that be facts or or just their own facts on how it works for them Um, but we need to be aware of these things so ratios we need to you know we can't let marketing terms drive our decisions yeah um i don't know what do you what do you see jason besides besides all this right at the consumer level I mean, well, I think right now there's a lot of hype around CBD that's exaggerated. There's a lot of hype around terpenes that I think is exaggerated. That's what I was going to say to you. That, um, that was the other one. We got to really be careful with terpenes, not only from a health standpoint, like you pointed yeah. out, but I don't know that, that, um, that, that terpenes are, are something to base it's i mean it's a big it's a big unknown first of all most of it's going to be myrcene or <laughs> right some of these some of these dominant Pining. terpenes and and it depends on the age if it's older cannabis that hasn't been stored well then it's going to be primarily beta caryophylline and um humulene and um but one thing that i, I did an interview with anthony I'm going to do another one with him. But one thing we talked about was uh, problems interpreting research and how it it's very common when a class of compounds gets hyped up to do some digging on research that's been done on those compounds, look for benefits or um, negative effects, depending on what sort of bias you're kind of operating from. And, and just a side note on that, everyone has a bias. And um, I thought that was something that was just generally well-known, but I've actually run into several instances now where when I bring up the concept of bias, it's assumed that um, bias only runs one way and that it's like you have a bias if you are looking for negative things about cannabis. And I'm like, well, no, there's a, a bias the other way too, in confirmation bias is just whatever you're bringing to the table. And we all have biases and we have to recognize our own biases and try to be comfortable 
reviewing information that makes us feel uncomfortable because of those biases. So that's a big part of what I'm leading into about looking at research. But uh, people will look up research about different compounds and they'll say, oh, uh, you know, like these different terpenes, linalool and myrcene, limonene, all these things. Oh, they do X, Y, Z. They'll make a chart that has all of these terpenes or cannabinoids and then all these effects and have dots showing, you know, what they do. And it gives consumers an impression that uh, if they want to find a product that works for something that they're trying to treat, that they just need to look at this chart, figure out, you know, what lines up, find a product that has a lot of that in it. And not recognizing the complexities around biomedical research and that, um, there's several pieces to it. One, there are different types of research and you have to be careful about how you interpret that research in the context of the human body. There's cell culture research. So someone's taking a Petri dish, they're growing certain cells, certain tissues, and exposing compounds to that, seeing what happens, and then extrapolating uh, possible applications um, for that. That could then lead into animal trials and then later human trials. And then you've got in vivo, uh, animal trials, a lot of this being with rodents, and um, you know rodents have much faster metabolic rates than humans do. They behave a little differently, um, but a lot of good information can be gleaned from rodent studies. However, there are a lot of instances in biomedical research where the results that come from rodent models don't scale um, the way that seems intuitive. Uh, to humans, and so that's a limitation. And then even in human clinical trials, there is a replication problem that science is dealing with broadly. It's really huge in like sociology and psychology, but it applies to all branches of science in that there's a lot of basic research that's been taken for granted that has not been replicated, or that when scientists have tried to replicate it, they don't get the same results. There's even a weird phenomenon where um, for certain types of research, the more you do the research, the more your results change. Um, and so it's very hard to make really straightforward claims about chemicals and what they're going to do, especially in the context of a complex matrix like a cannabis flower or even a cannabis extract that has you know a variety of compounds in it. It's really hard to make any claims of what that's going to do for somebody. Um, and so like it or not, we're still in an area of trial and error. It's a shotgun effect. You try different things, you see what works. That's why I encourage journaling. Um, because if you get too caught up in trying to learn what these compounds quote unquote do, you can really get off track from what's most valuable. And so there's a lot of hype around terpenes and what they do, how they affect the entourage effect that really there's not good data supporting a lot of those claims. There's some data that indicates that terpenes are a piece of the entourage effect puzzle. Um, there are terpenes that have demonstrated affinity for cannabinoid receptors. And so obviously they're having effects on the endocannabinoid system in some way. Um, but then you get into other issues of like, well, what's the concentration of these terpenes that are in there? How much is actually getting in your blood and reaching these cannabinoid receptors? Is it an appreciable, appreciable amount, especially in the context of a complex matrix? Um, you know, how are those effects actually happening um, at these ultra low concentrations when they finally reach these receptors, um, when they're in the presence of other compounds competing for access to these receptors? Um, 
And so that's a big piece is I just think we know a lot less than we often um, like to admit. Um, and part of that plays into the ego games that different people and companies are playing. Because if you can make people think that you know more than someone else, um, then you can build a sense of authority and that helps your brand perform better in a market, um, even if your brand is yourself. And um, this is common in uh, among even doctors. Um, you can find doctors that have YouTube videos where they're talking about all kinds of different things. And some of them are really quality and they're really careful about how they talk about things. And some of them are not very careful at all. And it seems like they're purposefully trying to get an impression into someone's mind when they know better. They know that what they're saying is not as straightforward as how they're presenting it, but they want to be perceived in a certain way so that when people see that, they're like, oh, this is the guy, or this is you know, the, the, the doctor, the nurse, the whoever that I need to pay attention to. Um, there's a lot of that happening and it's something I'm trying to be, even be aware of with myself when I talk about complex topics that I, and I, I slip up all the time, but trying to catch myself and make sure that I'm explaining nuance and providing context um, because I don't want people to generate assumptions um, that aren't well-founded. And so that relates to terpenes, it relates to CBD as well. Um, you know, all these medical benefits that are getting claimed about CBD, I'm sure some of them are uh, valid. I'm sure a lot of them are valid in certain contexts, but um, you know, I'm a big fan of, um, I've studied a lot, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, um, a Buddhist monk, a Tibetan Buddhist monk, um, and something he talks about a lot is trying to understand the conditions required for things to manifest. Um, and that's something I think about a lot with a lot of these health benefits is a lot of these health benefits can manifest under certain conditions. And the important things we have to understand what conditions those results will manifest. And, um, and we're just not there yet. Um, so that's a lot of the hype I see right now. It's around CBD, around terpenes. Um, I do think the ratio issue is not talked about enough, um, I'd like to see more consumer demand on a wider variety of ratios so that it's easier uh, for consumers to have the choice. Because right now, more and more companies are cluing into this and making two to one, one to one, you know, four to one different ratios. But there's still not a huge consumer demand for it. And until that consumer demand is there, it won't make much sense for producers to make those products and to make more diverse products. Um, but I think it's going to keep moving in that direction towards more and more diversity and that'll generate more and more data. Um, well, I think people need to realize that just because you're an expert at making something doesn't make you an expert of that product. Uh, I guess this is a bad analogy, but just because you can coach a winning team doesn't mean you can go out on the field and play. No, that's, I think that's a, that's a fair analogy. And, and that's the thing is just because I can make this superior product say, doesn't mean I know everything about it. Mm -hmm. It means I know how to make it, but it doesn't mean I know it's chemical makeup mm -hmm. or it's how it's going to affect you. Um, and here, this is going to upset a lot of bud tenders. Go for it. But here's the deal. 
this whole thing is a big subjective thing. It's, it's all subjective. What works for you may not work for me. How it works for you may not work for me. How you perceive the smell is not how I perceive the smell. Mm -hmm. How you perceive the flavor. All of it, all of it is all subjective. So for people who are looking for some sort of, well, lead me in the right direction or mm -hmm. tell me what works for this. Yeah. Bud tenders all the time. I can tell you firsthand, they get the questions. I got this. What do I need for it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. No matter who tells you and no matter what answer you get, I doubt it's the right one. I don't care how smart the person is and I don't care how experienced they are. Yeah. They're not you. They can, they can lead you in other ways. Right. But this whole, I want something to put me to sleep at night. Okay, we'll use this. It's a heavy indica. Sorry, guys, but it's <laughs> well subjective. <laughs> well, and on the hype thing, what are your thoughts about the indica sativa distinction? Oh my god, I I try to stay away from this argument because I I, <laughs> I mean with it's you it's one. great. It's very touchy, and and especially with the bud tenders out there. Again, this is something that they'll argue to the death. And, uh, what, you know, <laughs> they, they will tell you all the, all the Indica stuff, you know, couch lock and sedating and, mm -hmm. and you gotta, it's sleep and this, and then Sativa's going to wake you up and you're going to be able to do things and it's a head high and it's, but you can stay alert and, ah, uh, it's already giving me a headache. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if there's an indica in sativa. Yeah. I don't know. I know that there's plants that exhibit different traits. Right. But I don't know about that. I, I do know this. I do know that certain strains affect me, like with energy. Like I can't do tangy. A tangy flower gives me anxiety. Um, at least from the one farm I got it from, mm -hmm. but tangy, I stay away from, I love the flavor, but it just gives me overwhelming anxiety. I just stay away from it. I don't know why. Is it a sativa? I think tangy is, or is it a, it's a hybrid. I think it's a hybrid. Um, aren't they all hybrids? Well, that's another <laughs> argument. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I, I, I don't follow that hype. I don't, I am not on that train and I don't use it accordingly. I don't sit there and now, bud tenders will, and they'll tell you that. Even my co-host will. She'll tell you sativa indica, and I get it, but I don't think it's a, again, it could be misleading. Yeah. And, you know, I think it goes right back to you need to try it for yourself. Try 100% sativa. Try 100% indica and a different couple different strains on each. Yeah. And then try a hybrid spend some time doing this because this is the only way you're going to know. And I guarantee it's different from everybody. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's just, it just is. Um, I would say Indica sativa is better for a grower. You know, is this going to be a short bushy plant? that's going to grow wide, not very tall yeah, and broad leaf. Morphology, yeah. yeah. Or is it going to be a tall, lanky, long flowering sativa? Yeah. That makes more sense in my head and I can categorize it with that. Yeah. Do I think it's a, proper category no but it gives me something to to 
yeah. use for growing, but not when it comes to using it. Well, that's a that's the perfect distinction, I think, is understanding the context in which the terms are being used and the fact that the terms are not being used consistently in one context and that there's the morphological traits that we traditionally assign to indica type and sativa type uh, plants with the bushiness, uh, basically node length and, and all of that and fan leaf size and, and whatnot. But then there's the chemical profile piece that gets confounded with that and that we say that indica or sativa plants are going to have are going to produce certain effects, which implies then that they must have certain chemical differences um, that are unique. And there, some of the data that's been generated on this shows there are, you know, certainly there are chemical differences between different varieties of cannabis. And those can be grouped together in meaningful ways and categorized, but doesn't translate between the way that the terms are used um, in the context of morphology, that you, you can't say that a short, bushy plant is going to produce a certain chemistry and thus certain effects. And like you mentioned, everyone's different, and like we don't even have ways of measuring uh, the tone of someone's endocannabinoid system to you know try to... Um, make more meaningful predictions in therapeutic contexts. Um, there's research trying to trying to do that, um, but it's not there yet. So I think that's a, a big one. I, and I like that you keep going back to the individuality of, of it and that everyone's um, going to react differently. There was a, in the early days of the rec market, I saw some data that a software company was pulling out of Leafly that was super interesting that highlighted this whole point and basically showed that we don't have to say that indica and sativa means nothing. You've already said it. So they they harvested data from Leafly and they looked at traditional traditionally uh, classified indica strains and sativa strains and hybrid strains and showed the percentage of people that thought they were you know, sedating, um, gave them lethargy, were stony, et cetera, couch lock, et cetera, et cetera, versus the ones that were claimed to be uplifting, energizing, that use those sort of terms. And most of them were like 50-50 all the way across the board, that half the people that tried it thought it was sedating, half the people thought it was uplifting, and it was, you know, there was... The some, Pepsi challenge. It, yeah, it really was. <laughs> and um, that to me um, was super, super interesting because I was like, these are the consumers themselves saying this and they don't even realize it because you know you just have to take this whole da big data set. Um, it'd be interesting to harvest that data now and see if that's still consistent. Um, but um, that sort of began my journey of, of rethinking that all of that hype around um, the Indica Sativa stuff. It's like, I had a sense um, that it didn't make sense um, but then more and more, uh, the data that comes out it just seems well, and to back that. The, the variables are so, so many. I, I can tell you this. I used, We smoked weed in the 90s, man. We had brickweed. We had Mexican brickweed. I'm with you there, Mississippi. That yeah. stuff must have all been indica because it all <laughs> put me on the couch asleep with a headache. 
So that brown frown, man, it, I'll tell you how to make a sativa into an indica, shove it in a tire, take it across the border. Maybe rub coffee all over it. Let, yeah. Rub some coffee and cologne on it, throw it in a panty drawer. And then, you know, once that's all done, you know, six months later, pull it out and I guarantee it'll make you have a head, <laughs> a head heavy high. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so nice I, I often wonder if some of that indica is not something that's been put on the shelf for six months. Right. Just high CBN it degrades. levels. Yeah. It just degrades. And then it just turns into stuff that just is a downer. I used right. to brown frown. It was called that for a reason. Yeah. It was a downer. Right. It was because it was so damn old. <laughs> it was chemically something different probably right. as a degraded well that's that's important to bring up too in the context of strains so once again on the on the hype train um i never had a mexican brown that ever gave me energy <laughs> just so you know <laughs> so fell not, asleep five mu- minutes after mu- must not have been sativas <laughs> well and so you bring up a really good point that the chemistry of the plant changes over time and that chemistry is responsible for the effects. And so this gets onto the, another uh, piece of hype that I have a problem with, which is strain names and confounding strain names to effects. I think that certainly, like you mentioned, you've discovered that certain cultivars um, affect you differently than others pretty consistently. Um, and there's definitely that exists but getting like a in the context of flour for instance getting flour of any strain and trying it fresh versus trying it after it's been sitting out a while it's dried out monoterpenes have volatized off cannabinoids are starting to degrade into other cannabinoids it's gonna produce markedly different effects and um, in the context of dispensaries and product that may be sitting on shelves for a while stored in glass jars exposed to light you know all sorts and different dispensaries handle that issue different ways um, but I think it's um, another hype piece I'd like to see the industry transcend is getting so worked up about strains and what they do and recognizing that even if you have a test result for that material that was grown a year ago the chemistry of it now is probably different and that's gonna lead to different effects and so, you know, getting back to that individuality, like you've got to try things and learn the hard way, really. Um, yeah, I those COAs, I think, are great for OLCC and, and you know, having some, some numbers. But I, I don't follow those either, to be honest. Mm-hmm. The only thing I follow on those is make sure it's pesticide-free and heavy metal-free. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, I mean, whatever. Uh, but I'll tell you what, when, when my wife brings home samples... I don't ever, ever, ever look if it's a hybrid sativa or indica. Mm-hmm. I have no clue. And she's all talking about it, and she'll she'll be frustrated. I told you it was an indica. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at the number just because it's in big black letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know this. You know, I've test personally had some flower that's in the mid thirties mm-hmm. on a test and it, it does hit me different. Yeah. Once you're in the thirties, it seems like the THC definitely starts to show itself if you will. Yeah. Um, in the twenties though, here's a, here's part of that hype, uh, in the twenties, twenties and below I've had some like black cherry 
cheesecake was one of my very favorite strains uh, back in 2015 when stuff first started becoming legal. Black cherry soda was only 17%. And I loved it. Yeah. Strong, potent, made me feel great. Mm -hmm. I've had 22 feel the same way. I've had 25 feel the same way. I have 28 feel the same way. Mm -hmm. So in those ranges, personally, I haven't seen, I don't, I don't base THC. Um, but just recently within, within the thirties, I started to notice that it's a little bit, a little bit quicker effect. Yeah. Assuming, yeah. assuming that number is accurate. And that, yeah. again, variables, you know, darn well from testing, Jason, that this, the only reason I'm going to get that percentage is if I take that sample that you had and consume that sample because mm -hmm. any part of the other part of the plant yeah. could be different and it is different. Yeah. It could be di a lot different, big, little different, but it's different. Yeah. The plant exhibits, over time, all of it. The plant exhibits what's called phytochemical polymorphism, which is uh, the chemistry is different throughout the plant. Um, the lower parts of the plant produce different compounds than uh, parts that are exposed to more sun. Um, the high, middle, and low, um, especially when it comes to terpenes, is producing different compounds because the plant is experiencing different types of environmental stresses um, throughout. And that all plays into all of that yeah. um, for sure. Um, and yeah, the testing, you know, one thing I try to keep in mind with these recordings is that some people are, that are listening don't live in a state that has regulated cannabis testing and may, there may be testing labs, um, but the quality of the labs may not, may not be there. You know, Oregon went through some major shakeups with cannabis testing, um, in the time that I was helping build labs and, and get methods going and all of that. Um, and there were some really nefarious players um, that entered the industry early on that would produce whatever number you were willing to pay for. And sometimes I wonder if that's not still happening because what I the trend that I've noticed is that once it was announced that labs had to be accredited in Oregon, all of a sudden you notice that the average potency coming out of labs suddenly got very similar, hovered between... 16 and 20% THC is the average uh, once they had to button things up and open themselves up to third-party audits. Once they got accredited and things played out for a year or two and the accreditation agency got bogged down and has had trouble with enforcement, um, suddenly we're seeing that average go back up Yeah. Uh, to what it was before um, REC went online. Now, do I think that suddenly all of this flour has gotten way better? No. Um, there was really good flour around. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's been around for a long time now. And, um, you know, when I was working in the testing lab and understood the quality controls that were in place, so I knew why I could trust the accuracy of the numbers I was getting, you know, it was a rare and exciting thing to see a flour hit 28%. Mm -hmm. Um for a while, that was the highest that we saw. Right. Um, we did finally see a 29 and 30 percenter. Um, it's not that common. If if you're not testing a doctored sample, and so that was another issue in the early days of cannabis testing when people would submit their own samples, you know, um, you had issues where people would have perfectly trimmed buds, rolled in keef, um, and submitting that to the lab um, to try to get these high numbers. I don't know what's going on now, but I'm highly skeptical of some of the numbers that I'm seeing come through, even 
under this accredited model because tampering with cannabinoid potency numbers, I mean, people need to understand one, uh, it's not viewed as a major public health or safety issue, and it's really hard to catch. Um, there are clever ways that labs can manipulate those numbers that even, you know, well-trained auditors, it's very hard to prove. Um, and so that's a game I don't see going away, even mm. under highly regulated cannabis testing uh, rules. Um, yeah, like I said, those numbers are more useful in other areas besides the consumer right. and, and using them as a guide. Like you like with terpenes, I don't think that those kind of lists that tell you what these, it's like essential oils. And they say, well, you know, you put some lavender in your little thing here and you diffuser, yeah. diffuser and it's going to make you go to sleep easier. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe for some people, maybe for some, you people. know, I, I, but, but to make that claim, I don't know. Probably not for the person that had an abusive grandma that had, you know, wore like lavender yeah, perfume. Right. Right. You know? Well, and see as people we're so driven, like it's in our genes, it's in our DNA and it's just, it's in our evolution to, I mean, I learned this in, in actually refuge recovery, you know, we're at our ba basic primal nature is based on pleasure and pain. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we push away pain yeah. and we go towards pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that's just natural. Uh, now, the extreme of that is addiction where you just shove all pain mm -hmm. away and go all just towards drugs or whatever you can get that moment to be happy. So there's, there's, a, there's a, a medium there where, of course, everybody is operating normal at. But um, it's hard when, when we mix smell and flavor because it's individually they're so potent mm -hmm. and then you put them together it's really hard not to have that be part of that pleasure of sitting down with like a concentrate mm -hmm. and having that full smell just overwhelming and that flavor following right through i can see how that could be easily hyped because mm -hmm. you know or eat or people really get trendy with it is because it's it's like the wine and beer thing well i was just about to say you know yeah, people yeah. really enjoy the connection between the nose and the mouth yep. and the stomach and so it's real hard to stay away from those things but here's part of that i'll tell you this is this is good for other people in other states is these names that they have it does not especially with concentrates does not mean that's what it's going to taste or smell like <laughs> oh my god yeah i've had so many people bought some lemon crippler mm-hmm well, you're lucky. It probably tastes like pine saw <laughs> if you're lucky, but I yeah. doubt it tastes like lemons, you know, and don't get me wrong. Some stuff does taste mm -hmm. identical to what the name is, but those names are not an indicator of anything, mm -hmm. anything. Most of the time, not even the strains. Yeah. You know, and if it is indicating a strain, that strain is a strain of a strain of a strain. It, it indicates nothing. And all yeah. it does is wet your appetite. Right. So if you have an affinity for lemon meringue pie, that flower called lemon meringue yeah. pie is probably going to entice you. Yeah. But this is stuff that's been used since day one. Mm -hmm. Cannabis, for some reason, because of the smells and flavors, has to really, like food and beverage, has to really, really capitalize on that. And and it works. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's part of the experience. Yeah, what the the way to someone's heart is through their stomach, right? Yeah, and that <laughs> and that's part of is smelling is part of it. Mm -hmm. So these concentrate manufacturers, these guys, they're playing on that full spectrum terp terp sauce. 
Terp Sugar bro. Terps. Terps <laughs> for days. Terp monster. <laughs> and yep. uh, <clears throat> and so for these extract and concentrate manufacturers, that, that this is great because that's what you're doing is you're really, you know, these Terps are getting bad too, like 12, 13%. Yeah, it's got me nervous. I mean, my, that's the thing. It's like, yeah. wow, why don't you just throw a bottle of essential oil in there and we'll just smoke that? I mean. Right. And I often ask these guys, I'm like, are you leaving? What do you, you, what, there's not room for anything else. <laughs> I mean, there is, but you know, it's like. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, uh, that's going back to the terpene hype. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's been a major glossing over of issues related to terpene toxicity um, and a lot that's unknown because people have not been smoking essential oils like this um, for very long um, not in the way that it's happening now and you know a lot of these terpenes I mean they're used as pesticides they're right. used for a number of different things yeah and that doesn't inherently make them uh, dangerous to a human. I mean, some of that has to be teased out. What will kill a an insect won't necessarily do much to a human, but it might, um, and a lot of times it does. And and you know, just thinking about that, of like if you had, you know, a little vial of pesticide, and you were, you know, adding that to you never smoked a little neem oil, right? Yeah, you just put a little string down your <laughs> just your adds joint. this extra little flavor, Gives a little that's citrus great. flavor. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, it's something that I have a lot of concerns about. I'm going to try to talk to a couple of um, researchers about this in other interviews, I'm just trying to tease out what concerns there might be. Um, already, it's been identified that you know if you're um, smoking extracts at high temperatures, definitely terpenes are forming fairly gnarly um, byproducts. Some that are carcinogenic um, that um, can definitely be problematic with even um, acute exposure, as far as um, irritating tissues and that sort of thing. Um, but definitely chronic exposure, um, you know, putting actual health at risk. Um, I don't know if you ever saw this, and I, I hate to interrupt, but no, I, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a documentary on Netflix. Not sure if it's out there, and I don't even remember the name of it, but it was a documentary that they did this study on um, e-juice, e mm, e-cigarette yeah, yeah, juice. Yeah, yeah. Now, forget the nicotine aspect. Right. And they, they even forgot about like the PGAs mm -hmm. and the, right. the all that glycerin yeah. and shit. They even took that out of it, and they just did the essential oils in there. And they ran into some pretty significant findings. Nothing that's, they still have to, you know, mm -hmm. continue on with the studies, but their initial findings is they found certain essential oils like mint or like versions of menthol. Mm -hmm. um, did, if you did certain tests would not show any kind of damage to the lungs. But if you did other tests, you could see the damage. And what it was is it wasn't, I guess, there's a certain type of cell that dies in your lung when it comes into contact with certain chemicals, but it can be replaced, like regenerate mm -hmm. within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And it's, so it's a constant yeah. thing happening all the time, even just with normal air and stuff. And it's regenerating really quickly. Well, a side-by-side -side study with tobacco in a cigarette shows how the cells just die and don't come mm -hmm. back. They just yeah. die 
and it's necrosis and there is no healing. Yeah. And then they show E6 or E juice and stuff with the nicotine and the glycerins and stuff in it. And you can see these cells die, but they um, will come back within like two or three days. Just takes longer. Takes longer. But they found certain essential oils that were leaning more towards like the tobacco, where Mm -hmm. it was killing these cells and having them longer and longer times of regeneration. Yeah. So the thing was, is it even in these studies, it got down to the essential oils and some of them were not good. Yeah. And they were causing not permanent damage, but damage that was longer term. And here's the deal. If you're doing an E-pen all day long, you're not giving yourself a chance for that window mm-hmm. to heal. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's a, a short window or a long window, right. the damage is continuous. Exactly. Yeah. So, and this comes down to essential oils. So that really kind of why I was like, wow. So I kind of stay away from menthol now. Yeah. Anything, you know? Yeah. And I know there have been some um, studies looking at how certain terpenes affect plants when they're applied. And I can't remember what the study that's in my mind. I can't remember what terpene was used. I think it was limonene. Um, But they basically showed that if you put, you know, a drop on a leaf, you could follow the cellular degradation that would happen. And it was very similar. Like they would not grow back and there would just be chlorosis that would happen in that spot. And there'd be no more chlorophyll production. It would turn yellow and brown um, and just die off. Um, and so that, that effect on living cells, um, it's been shown in other organisms. And so it doesn't surprise me that it'd be found in, in humans too with certain ones and um, certain compounds. And so... Yeah, it's important for people to understand that the research there is not there as far as what these um, high terpene-rich extracts are doing long-term. We just don't know. Well, and some of these guys, I'll see it on IG, but some of these guys, they'll be red hot, as red as that light right there, and just dab. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Yeah, and something I really try to promote on this podcast is harm reduction. You know, it's like you're... If you've decided you're going to do something, that's fine, but let's try to find the safest way for you to engage in that activity and, and you know, hopefully get some education. And, and maybe over time, maybe you'll decide you don't even want to engage in that activity anyway. But um, just trying to, to find ways to keep people as safe as possible, regardless of what they're deciding to do. And, you know, choosing colder temperatures... Um, to smoke is is an easy first step well not only that but the flavor is better yeah uh it's a lot more efficient um you don't if you dial it in you don't waste anything um i mean for the most part uh but it's odd to me you you see these people with 50 60 grams of concentrates full of terpenes and they're improperly using it yeah I guess I'm old school, though. I figure if I'm going to spend that kind of money on something that small, <laughs> I'm going to know how to use it. These youngsters have more money than we do. <sighs> Tell me about <laughs> it, man. That's That was a problem with the black market. I was always buying from 20-year-olds. I'm the old dude, you know? <laughs> oh, that's a creepy old dude. I go sell him an eighth. <laughs> well, and, and hearing you talk about prices out here, I'm like, oh, you were paying $50 for an eighth? back then you know in mississippi 400 we paying, ounces baby we were paying 70 dollars at times uh, for an eighth Oof. Um, well towards the end of the black market days we we're paying 70 a quarter but that was kind of for mids you know you really yeah. couldn't that's one thing about the black market if you did run into the really good good stuff it was 
probably 60 bucks an eighth, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more. And we went through the whole, it was a struggle, man. I remember back in the 90s, I was buying from this girl. She was like in her 20s, and I was just barely 18 or something when I, was, when I first started. And she was so cute, had a big old crush on her. And she would bring me these eights that were like little, like a little line, like a pin line at the bottom, <laughs> all broke up. I'm like, I knew there was only half an eighth, spending 50 bucks. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank God for wreck. Yeah. That's <laughs> so what it keeps coming back to, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you yeah. look at it in the right light, wreck's pretty good. Well, and that's uh, feedback I got very recently from one of the interviews I was doing um, as a dispensary owner was saying that, you know, initially um, wanted to be regulated, but some of the regulations that were happening, he wasn't so stoked about, but over time has learned to appreciate them as you start to see things play out and you think about how things used to be or how things are in other states that don't necessarily have, um, uh, they may have um, decriminalized or legalized but don't have certain levels of regulation in place. And you see um, what he was talking about, particularly were ER visits and how in some other states um, that have medical programs or even legalized, you see far more... Uh, visits to the ER by people that are taking um, high-dose edibles inappropriately. And you don't see that as much in Oregon, primarily because there are potency limits on edibles. And so while someone could theoretically, you know, take a 1,000 milligrams of something, it'd be pretty expensive um, if you're getting it from a dispensary, um, just because the, the levels of THC are capped at 50 milligrams or whatever they're capped no, at. No, you can get around that with tincture. Well, you that's... You buy a thousand milligram bottles of tincture and screw your day up. That's that's a good point. Yeah. But that's the only thing you can get away with that on. Yeah. Everything else is limited. Is that because limited. it's considered an... It's an extract. Is that why? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little loophole, It's I guess. a loophole. And so they, they're... you For like 30 bucks, um, you can buy a thousand milligram sip. Mm. And yeah, that's... For experienced users only. Be interesting if that loophole is not closed in the next couple of years. Probably will be, but so far I haven't. You know, we haven't heard much about like mm-hmm. you know. And the thing is, if if you're inexperienced and you go too far with it, unfortunately, even if you go to the ER, they're not. They can't do nothing for you. Yeah, just they can keep, keep you calm. <laughs> keep you, probably give you an IV. And keep you from freaking out. Other than that, it, drink some water and go to bed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Uh, and it's it can be pretty pretty strong. I you know coming back from that Golden Beaver, well, we had like four cookies left over from that trip. One night I had this is later on after we got back. One night I had one cookie. Great, went to sleep, no problem. This is before I was actually keeping logs yeah. and stuff. And the next night I took two, thinking, hey, no problem. Hmm. Hmm. It was a problem. Yeah. Uh, and when you get too high, some, most of the time you, I find that I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. Like it's a high to where I'm, I might be tired, but it's kind of like psychedelics. You just cannot sleep. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing dragons. I was taking showers, playing with drag. It was, yeah, it was got to be careful. Well, and that's, that's a concern I have for um, novice users mm. that are getting into cannabis and younger users. I, yeah. I have cons- definitely concerns around edibles with um, those kinds of experiencing experiences being traumatic events for people yeah. that um, don't know how to how to deal with them, or that have um, you know certain uh, latent issues 
um, possibly mental health issues that could get triggered uh, by an experience like that. And um, this is something that's, you know, does happen. Yeah. I, I you know, like anything else, it, I believe cannabis can trigger mm-hmm. people that are susceptible to things like anything else. It's right. There can, it, lots of things can be the precipitating event. Um, and, uh, a, a bad cannabis experience can be. Well, one and as far as I understand, isn't like a lot of the schizophrenia in the twenties, like not in the childhood times or the real adult, older adult years, it's generally, well, that's uh, usually comes out it, in the twenties and so thirties. A lo- yeah. A lot of, a lot of mental health issues like schizophrenia, bipolar, um, tend to make themselves known, um, between the ages of 20 and 25. Yeah, so mix that and, with a brownie and that could be bad news. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it can, when you have substance use mixed in with um, a mental health issue, it makes it difficult um, to tease out what's causing what and why someone's behavior is evolving or changing or expressing itself the way it is. Um, and, and that's complicated. Um, and there's been research that's, you know, seems to be making a pretty strong case that, you know, there are people that have certain, um, you know, I like to call it basically a loose light switch genetically, that there's a genetic propensity um, for schizophrenia to um, sort of be um, sort of almost enabled on a genetic level that they're okay, but with the wrong traumatic event precipitating event all of a sudden this uh, genetic trigger happens the light switch gets turned on and it causes this cascading effect that um you know will lead to um schizophrenic or um schizoaffective type of behavior and um it's yeah real risks that people need to be aware of um, in general, it's a good idea to try to wait until you have a good sense of yourself before experimenting with a lot of stuff. But, you know, the reality is very few people that are going to experiment with um, cannabis or anything else. It's rare they're going to wait until they're 25 to do it. Some do, um, but it's it's rare. Um, it's just important to for people to be real about that risk. Um, cause sometimes, especially in Oregon and with the industry and everything, I think sometimes we really, um, play down the risks, um, because cannabis is pretty safe compared to a lot of things. Um, but you know, there are downsides as well as with anything. I find it ironic that, um, I have, I have tomato plants up front mm-hmm. and I have cannabis plants out back. I find it ironic that if I took a picture of my little one and a half year old playing with my plants mm. back there, I'd probably get a big backlash. Yeah. But if she's playing with the tomatoes, which are a lot more poisonous than my cannabis plants <laughs> in the state that they're in. Right. No one would have a problem. But if she ate the tomato leaves, yeah. that'd be a bigger problem than eating any amount of cannabis leaves. But yet, you know the severity of how bad it looks is completely well, reversed. Yep. And so, yeah, I just, I had to throw that in. I find that odd that, you know, it's well, it comes back to that stigma piece. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, well, Oh man, we've been going we almost filled, two hours. Yeah, filled up your, 
Yeah, totally. Well, now you got some patron stuff. Well, there's a question too that I wanted to ask yeah. you that maybe we've we've touched on it, but um, that plays into all of this, which is what are some thoughts, ideas, conceptions about cannabis, cannabis that you had five years ago or so that have changed that are different today, based on you know your personal experiences, but also all the different people that you've talked to. Um, what are some ideas that have kind of been refined over time for you? Hmm. Well, the good news is that as much as everything has changed, so is, so is our understanding. Yeah. Probably not much closer to the full understanding, but we have a lot more understanding. And it, so it gives us some things that we can use to really um, enjoy the plant in better ways, responsible ways. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked seeing, and again, there's good and bad and, and it is going to be a big thing and especially in this state, but you know, I really like seeing hemp becoming part of our, uh, you know, I, I would like to see it become, and it's on its way, but I'd like to be, be you know, be a staple in our, in our um, like corn or yeah, flour yeah. or coffee. Um, there's so many things that can be made from it. Uh, and I just, you know, I know there's other issues, you know, there's other issues with environment and stuff, but for the most part, that's a better step forward than yeah. what we're doing now. So I'd like to, and that's really happening. You know, I just read an article or, uh, saw a news uh, thing on channel 10 that showed that Jackson County is the biggest out of the whole state. We have the most hemp here in this county. Wow. <laughs> Which is true. You, you drive anywhere. Yeah, huge this, farms. Is, this is the funny thing. You know, back in the 70s, all you saw was pears. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Then the 80s and 90s, all you saw was grapes. Mm -hmm. Everywhere. Now all you see is <laughs> hemp. Goes to show you we're in a great region. But, I mean, everywhere you go, you're seeing it. I find it hilarious that OLCC makes you cover your your THC crop with fences, but you can put your hemp crop right on the ditch next to the road. Right, right by I-5. Right by, Thousands I, I of mean, plants. oh yeah. And all you need is a big sign that says, hemp, no THC, whatever. I find that very ironic considering they look identical. They are the same plant. <laughs> right. A lot of people though have that idea in their head that that this is a separate thing. And for a lot of people to accept it, they have to think of it mm -hmm. as a separate thing. But no, chemical difference. But they can, you know, pollen is an issue because it's mm -hmm. pollinate each other. Uh, and, and like I said, I don't get it. Um, the only thing I can see OLCC really having that legitimately covering a THC crop is for security. Yeah. Other than that, I think it's a bunch of crap. I mean, I mean it's a beautiful plant. And you could put up other things that you couldn't see that would be barriers. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, so I, to differentiate the same plant. Well, and it's uh, it's an eyesore to see, all you know. It is. For instance, if you're driving out to the coast and um, there are several grows that you see on the way um, on that highway from Grants Pass all the way to the coast, and you'll be driving along and you're like, oh, it's so rural and nice, and all of a sudden, wooden fence. And, you know, it's the tall wooden, a classic tall wooden fence for a cannabis farm. Mm -hmm. And um, when people come out and visit, I'll point it out to them while we're, while I'm taking them, you know, sightseeing stuff around Oregon. And, 
you know, they'll start noticing them and be like, wow, okay, there's a lot of those. And once you start really looking for them, and I'm like, yep, they got to put them up because you can't let anybody see it. Um, and, you know, there's so a joke when it was when it was first getting started. Um, you know, some friends of mine uh, and I would joke like, yeah, you know, if you see those plants, your eyes will bleed. So, you know, you got to <laughs> protect know, everybody. Right? You know? Well, that's um, what I don't get is how is a fence better looking than nature? And if they didn't have the fence, it's probably less obvious. Right. Because for the most right. part, a lot of, not all, but a lot of them are set back far enough that it just looks like any other greenery out there. Not that you couldn't distinguish it, but you got a big old fence around a whole acre or just some mm -hmm. plants out there. I mean, well, in these days, with all of these hemp plants, most people would probably just, if they didn't know better, they would just assume it's hemp at this point. Right. You know, for people that aren't, right. aren't as savvy. Right. Um, right. So I still see idiots going and pick hemp plants, though. Really? Don't you see? Don't you think so? Like some young kids. Hey, we're gonna oh, go. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Let's go play. Let's go do that plant down there. Yeah. It looks just like. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a scene that would always crack me up on that show, The Office, where uh, uh, for anybody that's seen this episode, you'll know immediately what I'm talking about. There's a pizza boy that delivers pizzas to the office, and uh, they end up detaining him and not letting him leave because they don't want to pay for the pizzas. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, in like one of the side interviews, the uh, Dwight is like, oh yeah, I know this kid. He's the one that always robs my hemp fields. And then it interviews the kid, and the kid's like, yeah, that's that farmer that grows the terrible weed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm sure some of that still happens. Oh man! But um, well, yeah. it looks it looks identical. TKO grows some really dank hemp. <laughs> well, and it, it gets... why aren't these guys throwing in a couple of? You can't tell me they're not. They got rows and rows of hemp. You can't tell me about a handful. Of those aren't THC plants. I would be very, very, very surprised if that were not happening. Yeah. But yeah. Um, just mark yeah. them. <laughs> well, and ultimately, I think what we need to move towards is recognizing that there's. Uh, so the term hemp is not a cannabis specific term. The term hemp has been used for a variety of different plants throughout the ages. And it typically refers to um, good fiber plants, plants that are really good for fiber. Um, and it's only, you know, the past hundred years or so that it's really a cannabis thing. Um, not that the term hemp hasn't been used for cannabis for a long time, but really cannabis is owning that term now. Um, but the reason that most people are growing hemp right now in this area is for resin production, not for fiber. So you know, when a lot of people think about hemp, they think about these tall, wispy plants that are going to get combined and used for fiber. That is not what these plants are. These are female, high-resin-producing cannabis plants. They look like straight I mean, fire flower. Yeah, I they mean, are. They look they nice. Are. They're just a different chemotype. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so at some point, um, I think our language needs to evolve to talk about, you know, cannabis for resin production and cannabis for fiber and transcending the hemp and marijuana and you know all these these different terms and recognize that it is all one plant and uh, we're growing it for different purposes and um, and you know maybe there'll be regulatory differences with that too um, I was talking to a farmer recently uh, that was sharing some of his concerns about the hemp stuff. And he was just basically saying, you know, 
cannabis gets hyped as this plant that can save the world, but until there's incentive for hemp farmers to actually grow fiber type, you know, varieties of cannabis, that's not going to happen. Um, this high resin CBD producing crop is not the crop that is going to save the world when it comes to building materials and all these different uses. Um, but you know, at what point is it going to make sense for cannabis farmers to move in that direction when they can make so much more money producing, you know, CBD resin plants? Producing um, that full spectrum isolate. <laughs> 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 yeah, I've got this really fire distillate. It's got. Yeah. You know? I think it's funny that, um, I think it's funny that uh, a, oh, how was I going to say this? Um, pharmaceutical company it seems to me like their whole thing is to take a uh, spectrum of whatever and isolate it down to one compound mm -hmm. and then make that a medicine right that that seems like traditionally that is how medicine is looked at but now you see all these commercials especially for antidepressants well taking this pill doesn't really work gonna want to add so this. you're, you're gonna want to add this one in and then and then the the synergistic effects of two isolated compounds you idiots um will will you know work together and then there's even up to three now mm -hmm. for one cent and i'm like all right so you at least admitting that maybe having more than one isolated compound is possibly more effective well yeah i it's something that um, it's happening very slowly, but pharmaceutical companies understand that the way forward is polypharmacy, multiple compounds. Um, and the way I view it, you know, life is like a pendulum. So many things are like this. You know, we start out on one side and our medicine, our foods and medicinal plants and that sort of thing, uh, very broad. Uh, phytochemistry and then we get a little smart and we swing all the way over towards isolated active compounds we're like we figured it out we figured out why this plant works it's this compound and you know and then we focus on that and now the pendulum is swinging back and it's not going to go all the way you know right. where it started it's gonna come just short and that's probably gonna swing back and it's gonna oscillate um, as we try to as our understanding of medicine as a concept matures and, you know, as a culture, as humans, you know, we're just still so young and naive in our understanding of so many things. And we get a little taste of knowledge and a little taste of understanding. And we extrapolate that into so many things like, uh, you know, an irresponsible child. Um, and then we have to learn some hard lessons. People die. People have terrible side effects, uh, all these different things. And may I also say, this happened with medicinal plants too. There are medicinal plants that were, you know, if you take them repeatedly, they're toxic. They you really hurt your liver, you know. And so part of the push towards isolated compounds was overcoming some of the toxic effects of some medicinal plants. Um, so it's not just that like, oh, medicinal plants are awesome and, and pharmaceuticals are bad. Like it's so much more nuanced than that. And we're in this process of just growing up and like you and I are not going to see the, you know, 
the better place that this is all moving towards. We'll be dead and gone long before yeah. that happens. But it's a slow process, and it's happening. And mm. I that pendulum is swinging, and it, I try really hard to not try to have any, like, anti-pharma vocabulary in the way that I talk about things because the pharmaceutical industry, it's one way right now, but it's changing. It won't be that way forever, and it hasn't always been what it is now. And it's it's a constantly evolving thing, but there are just all these dynamics that have it behaving the way it is now. And um, the way it's behaving... Um, you know, there are a lot of bad things about it, for sure. Yeah, and I just don't want to see them essentially strip cannabis of better potential. I mean, because they've already got this, what is it called? Ep- Epidiolex for CBD. And, yeah, and there's, I you mean, know, and so they're doing all for THC. Yeah, so they're doing traditional pharmaceutical things. And they're, and they're not seeing a bunch of huge benefits from these things. But then you see, like, a product like Sativex, which is still a narrowed down product but it's got thc cbd and terpenes mm-hmm. added into it yeah and while that's not a drug that you see in the united states it is in the uk and canada sure. and other places and it'll be in the u.s eventually um as the u.s gets more comfortable with thc in general um but um there's going to be the spectrum of products and over time um all of this will get teased out. It's just going to happen really slowly. And in the meantime, it's just really important for people to understand that there is a lot of nuance and complicated stuff around these issues. And going back to really early on in the conversation, when you talked about people being so eager to jump on a team, I think it's really important that we don't fall into the temptation of jumping into the like anti-pharma team or the like, um, you know, I'm all herbs team and understanding that, Everything can have a place and a use. And going back to what I was saying about things manifesting under certain conditions, like there can be certain appropriate applications for isolated CBD and isolated THC and distillate and all these different things. But it's going to take a long time before we figure out what those appropriate applications are and under what context, you know, they're going to work the best. Um, And so, that's why I advocate in the meantime for a, you know, try to focus on safety and having some basic understandings of these products and, um, and some of this nuance so you can make the best informed decisions for yourself as you can. Mm-hmm. Understanding that you can't make the best decision because we don't have the information we need. No, and then the information that is available is a little bit skewed. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a jungle to say the least. But I think it's a byproduct of just the whole, it's the whole thing changing. It's, yeah, evolution. I mean, literally <laughs> overnight, we went from, you know, a highly regulated or restricted um, thing to, you know, technically, I mean, I just go out on my back porch and just enjoy whatever I want back there. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's gotten to the point where essentially if you're not impeding on someone else's space or enjoyment mm-hmm. and you're not being... Um, uh, boisterous about it. Mm-hmm. You can smoke quietly pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Not everywhere, just anywhere that would be 
You know, that's someone private. that's private, like they would smoke a cigarette, yeah. you know, if you go yeah. around the corner or walk down the street, whatever. But, you know, I take walks around the neighborhood all the time and I've never had a problem. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I'd also don't bug people. I don't get in anybody's space. I don't do it like, Oh, Hey, look what I'm doing. You know, I, <laughs> you know, just have some respect with it. Yeah. But we, overnight we went to that. Yeah. And as hard as it was for us, like you say, these people out there, I get, I get listeners all the time and you'll get these, you'll get these listeners that will one will want to find product through you <laughs> right now. No sales guys, no sales. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is for educational purposes only. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all my medicine goes in my closet. I already had one guy, uh, try to call me out as a CBD supporter because <laughs> I posted, uh, the video about how THC free, uh, CBD extracts are made. And, I was like, well, um, the point of that was just so people could understand basic science and technology, how these extracts are made. Um, but immediately I was categorized as a, a CBD pusher. I was like, I, okay, the, I, I'm the, not, but... Um, the hate will follow. Yeah, I've tried to prepare myself for that. Why well, practice? I practice all the time. I'm waiting for the bad comments all the time. They, yeah. <laughs> You know they're going to come. Yeah, and you're better with that than me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's ever-changing, and uh, the the speed of it changing is incredible. <laughs> uh, for these people out there in the other states, I feel bad for a lot of them because you cross one state line and you go from okay to in, in prison. Yeah, life ruined. It's amazing, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the concept behind that, the, the, that line – you know, is over over a small amount of a plant just still blows me away. And I can imagine how it would be in those states, how it would blow them away. Yeah. Um, and then, then they see us where we got diamonds and sauce and I'm smoking a pack of 10 pre-rolls at the, you know, at the river. And, right. I mean, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we got to understand that there's a lot of people out there that aren't even at, to the point where we're at. Mm-hmm. So these people sitting back listening to this haven't even gotten that far. They're just lucky to get a gram in the pocket. Right. Are you still using med- medicinal cannabis? Cannabis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've I've touched on before um, a couple times, but I've got uh, several different issues where, um, you know, in my particular circumstance, it seems to help a lot with nerve pain that I experience in my neck and back due to several injuries that I've had. Um, and I've also, I'll probably get into this at some point if I ever get into like my personal story on the podcast. Um, but I went through a series of drug trials, um, when I first tried to get help for my back issues because I was in terrible debilitating uh, pain and like having uh, my back would seize up and uh, my friends that were around me at the time, they, uh, I don't blame them for getting cracked up because I would grunt a lot uh, because I would get these sharp jolts of pain in my back and sometimes to the point where like I couldn't move and I couldn't get comfortable and I would just be like, uh, mm, uh, 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 and just like making that sound frequently um, sometimes without even realizing it. Um, and so I got, uh, put through, I took, um, steroids, um, off-label antidepressants for chronic pain, uh, muscle relaxers, um, never went the route of opioids. I had a doctor who recognized that that just wasn't an option for a chronic condition. Thank God. Um, but 
almost anything else that we could try, we tried. And um, that was a terrible experience going through all of these different drugs to try to find some relief for that, for this sort of multitude of issues that were going on. And, you know, what I found for me was that having a little bit of cannabis in my system uh, made it where my back would not seize up. And to this day, since I've moved to Oregon, I've not had that kind of issue where I've been out for days grunting. All that hasn't happened. Um, and that's huge. Um, it's something my wife can test to um, of how huge a deal that is, um, that I can be as active as I am. Um, and, um, and just my general um, well-being day-to-day, um, you know, my back still hurts. It's much more tolerable, and it doesn't take much um, to get that relief. And that's something that I've had to learn over time. And that now I don't, I don't use cannabis very much anymore, um, as far as just volume and amount and everything and dosaging. Um, but I just know that as long as I've got a little bit in my system, um, that's all kept at bay. And I've tested it at times where I've gone totally abstinent. Um, to see what my baseline is and it all comes right back and it's at this point it's traumatic uh, when it comes back because it just brings up so much emotional memory and everything that i'm like i just don't want to experience this again yeah it's terrible um and it's something that nobody guesses from interacting with me since i moved to oregon because nobody here knows me back then um when i was in the depths of a lot of um, those issues and so yeah i I do. It's something I've been hesitant to talk about because I've stigma on my side. I'm worried that that will discredit me as a scientist and educator by talking about my own cannabis use. Um, but it's something that at this point I feel like is kind of important to do, um, at least in an effort to break that stigma. Um, and hopefully people will judge me by the content of what I'm putting out there and not the fact that I'm also a cannabis user too. Yeah. Which is strange to me. I uh, I will tell you this: you don't, in my, you know, mind, uh, you don't look like a cannabis. <laughs> which is a funny thing to say because uh, that sounds like someone who doesn't consume it would say that. But the fact you don't look like a pothead. Yeah. Well, I I don't mind I don't mind those terms because I mean you know it's it's kind of reminiscent of what I used to get called anyway. Mm-hmm. But I know I know better. Um, most of the people that I, uh, have seen in the industry are harder workers than most people that I know. Yeah. So there's a lot of not complacent and not, uh, very ambitious people. Yeah. So, um, but you know, <laughs> there are people that look like they do use it and there's people that don't. <laughs> so and which is funny because, you know, when it became legal, then all of a sudden all your doctors, nurses, and lawyers and stuff, they all came out of the closet. Yeah, no, for sure. There's a ton of uh, very high-profile people now that um, have gotten much more open about it. Um, well, at this point, now we've been going two and a half hours, uh, so we've got to wrap this up now. Yep, yep. Uh, but this is great. I've really enjoyed uh, having – always enjoy the conversations that we have um we've gotten into so many things here it's gonna take me forever to edit this um and figure out usually (laughs) i I break clips out out of conversations this is the longest one i've had 
So I imagine there'll be a, probably, what, 30 clips that'll come out of this one? We'll see. Well, or uh, and not only that, but, uh, you know, you can save some for just mm -hmm. save it for extra. Yeah. Yeah, That's behind the scenes. Yep. Um, but thanks so much for being willing to sit down. And I'd like to do this again at some point and get Lady Sativa in here, too, and uh, hear some of her experiences, too, especially working on the dispensary side. Yeah, um, she's the expert there. Yeah, it'd be uh, really interesting to get that perspective as well. It's kind of the front lines, if you will. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And something I'm I'm gearing up to try to do is um, dispensary education and bud tender education and stuff. Um, I've had a little, I've hit resistance with that before. Um, dispensaries that have been, I understand it, just very skeptical of people that are wanting to come to them and teach them anything, um, especially if they perceive that person to be an outsider to the industry. Um, but I'm hoping maybe we can break through some of that resistance. Yeah. And there's a lot of pride in the industry. Um, everybody knows it all. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I've Even I do. I know everything. Right. Yeah. Me too. Of uh -huh. course. Yeah. So just we clear that up. <laughs> I have nothing to learn. It's all done. <laughs> well, that's the re reason we started. I started it just in my mind was to share the information other people had. Right. Cause yep. I didn't have it. That's yep. I feel that as well. And that, I mean, that's why I looked for you. That's why I looked for Anthony and why I looked for uh, anybody yeah. like that is just because I am not that knowledgeable. <laughs> well, and while there are, there's, you know, I view my own knowledge about cannabis to be a very narrow sliver of knowledge. So, you know, there are things I understand really, really well compared to most people. Um, but then, man, there's so much beyond that. Um, that I don't have a lot of experience with, and I may have a basic understanding of, um, but that's that's same here. Why I want to interview a lot of people is to um, learn and understand and share that learning with other people. And the best teachers are also lifetime learners. And um, you know, my hope is while pushing education, it's also pushing myself to continue to learn and expand my perception and understanding of all of these concepts um so yeah i'm right there with you um i may be able to talk all day about mm. analytical testing and whatever else but you know when it starts getting into like cultivation um you know other than the fact that i'm a hobby gardener there's not I was a gonna lot say, I don't know. you know how to grow things i know some basic things about soil science and stuff but you know not compared to these guys that have dedicated their lives to doing it um so yeah well anyway it's just a weed throw some miracle grow on it right yeah what's the point what's all the hype about growing it's a weed it just grows <laughs> throw it in the corner <laughs> yeah what you throw a seed in the ground you wait a while and then you smoke it right and that's what you do you have to <laughs> snap crackle pop that's just extra <laughs> um oh, well we're definitely gonna have you back on the show well, yeah, we're I'll gonna be bug happy you. To... It's indefinite. We'll be twenty years from now. We'll be old dudes. Yeah, keep talking, and we'll be like, "Well, episode one thousand four hundred and seventy-two. <laughs> right. We'll be on Joe Rogan's level yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with our own Jamies, man. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the plan. Eventually, get there. Jamie, yeah, pull that one up. Yeah, look that up for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Why he's running all the live video streams right. and yeah. angles and hey, that guy's impressive. Yes. Um. I, he doesn't get he's a half a rogan man deserves, i know yeah. i know yeah it's it's gonna be an interesting ride anyway we could keep talking for hours um sorry no <laughs> no apologies necessary uh thanks so much for yep. joining the podcast is there Thank anything you. um 
that you uh, like let's make sure you have a chance to plug all of your stuff so what's your website um, how do people find you all that yes so all social media is at Oregon rooted real simple um, so anything is at Oregon rooted Facebook IG Pinterest Tumblr even um, let's see as far as our website uh, we changed from uh, Oregon rooted mm-hmm. back in the day migrated to Oregon rooted 541.com OregonRooted541.com. It's a long story, but someone stole our website from yep. that. And uh, good news, guess what? What's that? I got it back. Oh, nice. Yeah. So now you just got to do some routing. and. I So it's just a subdomain, and yeah. it's rerouted. So actually, you can use OregonRooted.com. Cool. Okay. So OregonRooted.com, OregonRooted541.com. And then OregonRooted everywhere else. Cool. All right. Thank well, you, sir. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book, available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. The Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.